I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, down with the hate crimes bill, Bionic. Exactly. Yeah, man. And it's either going to be thumbs up or thumbs down here very, very shortly, Mm -hmm. because we have legislation that's coming through very quickly about the hate crimes bill. Well, it's on my side of the desk here. It's always thumbs down. Yeah, right. But uh, we have legislation that is going from Congress directly to the desk of Barack Obama, mm-hmm. uh, and it could have huge impacts on the Christian community mm-hmm. uh, if this is approved finally. It came close several times in the past. We felt like we needed to do a show quickly and urgently uh, for this, and in the short time we had, there was really only one gentleman that we could find uh, who was actually even doing any talking about this mm-hmm. uh, in evangelical circles, and that is Reverend Ted Pike of the uh, National Prayer Network. Now, Ted Pike uh, is someone, if our Futurian listeners go through to his website and read some of his writings, uh, they're going to find that he names names of the mm-hmm. organizations, which we'll talk about here. Yeah. Uh, that are specifically behind writing this legislation mm-hmm. and have really gone after Christians in yeah. the past quite a bit. He even kind of names names as far as individuals, I think. Right, and, and the groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you will also find is that his some of his research and his suggestions thinks that some of their religious convictions and background uh, help support why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And some of our listeners may disagree with that, may find difference, and, and most of his writing focuses on that. And uh, as we know on our show, we've had people on our show who believe that uh, uh, Roman Catholic followers are the main ones that are trying to do us in. I would say, say, and I think you would agree, and feel free to disagree if you don't, but uh, there's just, you know, anytime you think that one group is solely responsible for the evil in the world, uh, you may be swinging a little wide. (laughs) Right, even if well-meaning. And uh, as I was saying, you know, there's many people, evangelicals, saying that the uh, uh, Muslims are the ones that are trying to go solid. You've got to get the Muslims. They all eat and sleep and walk and lockstep. Or even New Agers. The New Agers. We've got to get the New Agers. They eat and sleep and drink and walk step. And so uh, a lot of the people who contribute the most of our understanding are people who focus on these different parts. Mm -hmm. And I think our, our general agreement is that it's a little bit of all the above groups, at it's least like, a subset. You know of, what it is? It's like looking at a. It's like looking at uh, um, looking at a pyramid. One side is one thing, the other side is another thing. Right. It's all. It's it's the pyramid you're fighting, and because you happen to be camped out fighting one side of it. Excellent, excellent you know, observation. You get you get bogged down and that's exactly right. at that side. But uh, all of these people provide a real contribution as understanding the big picture, mm-hmm. and uh, we just want to make sure you understand that if you look at some of the materials. But like I said, some of our other guests, you could say the same thing about their yeah, websites. Far and more controversial focus. in some cases. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but I think there's a subset of all these groups of people mm-hmm. who are have their own personal agendas mm-hmm. and and bad intentions, mm-hmm. and they give everybody a bad name. Uh, that that are doing this kind of thing, and yep. that's sort of how, the, how it works. So mm-hmm. with no further ado, we need to join uh, Ted Pike. He's going to have some real information that's very timely about the hate crime laws. And uh, before we're done tomorrow, uh, it's going to have some, some pretty interesting things for us to debate. But until mm-hmm. then, here's Ted Pike talking about the dangers to Christians from the new hate crime laws. We'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, down with the hate crimes laws, Bionic. 
Well, well said. <laughs> well said. That's some foreshadowing. Some of that foreshadowing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we today have a another new guest for the Future Quake Show, as we often have. We we bring f- fresh thoughts and, and mm-hmm. uh, fresh ideas regularly into the Future Quake Show. But today is going to be one of those kind of shows that, for all of the normal challenging topics we have, is going to be another one of those mm-hmm. topics, particularly when our listeners, our Futurians, think about the ramifications of what we're going to talk about. Uh, today we have, for his initial visit with us, Reverend Ted Pike, who is the director of the National Prayer Network. And we're going to talk this week about the hate crime laws and those who plan to target Christians. So, Reverend Pike, I, I would just like to welcome you to the Future Quake Radio Show. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I appreciate you making time for us. I know these are extremely busy days with what's going on in Washington right now, and I thank you so much for giving us the opportunity and uh, being willing to, uh, on short notice, accept our uh, our invitation for you to come on our show. You know, I look forward to talking about an important subject here that unfortunately has some taboo elements, uh, at least within the current uh, evangelical media dialogue of the mainstream evangelical media, uh, which is largely why Future Quake exists and even has a purpose, is to to cover those kind of issues. And uh, it's also a subject that mainstream Christian media just largely ignores, uh, which is another reason for our emphasis uh, today in this discussion. To begin our discussions on this topic, could you please give us a quick capsule of your background and that of your ministry? Well, I am the heir of a, a wonderful tradition of uh, Christian pastors, even circuit riders, going back to the turn of the 20th century. My great-grandfather was a Methodist circuit rider to, to the Wild West, and uh, my father and mother particularly uh, were pioneer Christian conservatives as early as 1949 with the China. They actually left the established pastorate in the Evangelical United Brethren Church uh, to to undertake a, a production of, a, of a, a magazine called Crisis Magazine. And they were very very concerned that liberalism, communism, socialism, and so on be be challenged both theologically and politically in in America. And about uh, 1980, my father was very burdened with the great National Day of Prayer, which was established by. General George Washington uh, should uh, be revived if it had pretty much been forgotten. And so us three Pikes, who are all pilots, flew our old 1929 monoplane, a Balanca monoplane, all around the United States, a big loop clear up to, from the Pacific Northwest to New York down to the South, California, and so on, uh, dragging a huge banner that said, Pray for America. And we had a, a, rock, a rock system <laughs> Uh, amplifier on the bottom, and we boom out, pray for America over America's cities and conservative rallies and so on. And through that, uh, uh, the petition campaign, uh, uh, we uh, we were able to actually put, uh, convince uh, President Ronald Reagan in 1980 to uh, revive the great National Day of Prayer. And, of course, Dr. Dobson and uh, Crusade, Krampus Crusade for Christ and others uh, very masterfully continued that and, and orchestrated a national movement out of it. But out of that uh, national prayer network uh, uh, campaign came the national national prayer network, and right now we are a we are a watchdog, a Christian conservative watchdog organization specializing uh, at the present time in warning of the nation and in fact the whole world about the dangers of of hate crimes legislation. We we are actually our Truth Tellers website is the premier internet uh, source uh, educating the public about the ideology 
the evil intentions, the, the sordid record of hate crimes legislation. Right now, we are right in the middle of a, a tremendous fight to actually persuade President Obama not to sign the federal hate crimes bill into law. And in, in fact, uh, as you may know, the uh, the the hate bill was attached uh, in the Senate in this spring to an arms uh, the arms military arms authorization bill. And uh, President Obama has been vowing that he will he will veto that arms bill if it, it contains about a hundred billion dollars extra in military pork. And we are we're in a campaign right now to uh, to to hold him to his promise and veto that hate bill. Well, well, uh, Reverend Ted, that's why I want to sort of methodically get through that. And I want to establish the background so our, our listeners okay. fully understand the ramifications of it. But you know something I've never heard, I've, I've heard you speak on a number of shows, and I probably just missed it. Uh, I, I know you have the title of Reverend. Were, were you ordained into a particular denomination or any group? Uh, we're non-denominational, and I was ordained as part of our nonprofit corporation or church organization here in the Pacific Northwest, the Portland City Temple Incorporated, by, by my father. Okay, so you were ordained through him. Yes. Okay. I didn't know if you'd been a pastor of a church in a certain denomination or anything like that. Well, we do have a, a small church organization here, primarily composed of members of our, our staff and uh, the creative force behind this movement. Mm-hmm. But uh, our, our primarily ministry of the National Prayer Network is, I have, I've had about 130 talk show hosts put me on nationally, mm-hmm. and out of those, I, I, I use those in order to get the in times of danger. Okay. All right. Now, going back to the background, um, you know, since we're going to focus today on the hate crime law legislation uh, that's now uh, up for uh, for voting and signature, could you please begin by describing the events and other factors that have been used as the justification for enacting any of these kind of hate crime laws? Well, there really isn't any uh, real need for a federal hate crimes law. But but what events that. what events occurred? That they well, used the, as justification the, the for of, now. For now. Yeah, the, the murder of Matthew, Matthew Shepard right. in, in 2000 or so. He, he, he is the poster boy of the of the hate crimes, gay rights movement, mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, that Mr. Bird was dragged behind a pickup in Texas and so on. The the actual cases of egregious hate crimes are absolutely infinitesimal. But what the media does and what the the, the this movement does is that it. it, it it, it takes that which is exceptional and very rare and describes it as a part of a, a national epidemic which cries out for federal intervention. Mm-hmm. And that some people are more valuable than other people. Therefore, there should be extra punishment because of certain people that are impacted because, again, they're more valuable than others. Yes, absolutely. And all hate crimes bureaucracies in the Western world, Canada, Europe, Australia, it is a given that only the smallest minority of citizens are entitled to federal hate crimes uh, protection. The vast majority uh, have not been privileged to be uh, victims of white Christian uh, heterosexual persecution over the millennia, and therefore uh, they they actually are third-class citizens because most hate laws give three times the penalties against anyone who attacks a homosexual, Muslim, black, Latino, etc. Mm-hmm. And so... The three times the protection for these federally protected groups, that means we are one-third as protected as they are. Well, you know, what makes me wonder, I just thought of this, isn't this almost like the Dred Scott case in reverse, hmm. where they referred to him as sort of a partial person in the eyes of the law? Five-eighths or whatever. Yeah, has that been actually meted out to us, 
that do not have well, a political spokesman, that we don't have that same protection? Yeah, that's what it amounts to. In fact, uh, Attorney General Holder, in his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee this spring, he, he really set it out. He said there, there will be no protection uh, on the local level, at least for, for federal protect, special protection, for, for whites, for policemen, for Christian ministers, uh, for members of the military, and so on. But there will be these exalted privileges and, and uh, protections for people who are black, Muslim, Jews, Jewish, even women, and certainly homosexuals. Okay. Uh, what has been the, their experiences to date amongst those who are trying to get these types of laws passed? It's been quite a while since the Matthew Shepard case happened. What has been their, their experience in, in garnering support and getting progress through legislature up to this point in time? Well, back in 1988, the Anti-Defamation League of the which is the architect of all of this legislation throughout the Western industrialized world, they held a, a, a seminal, a pivotal conference at Hofstra University in New York in which they gave first prize to a national competition to invent a a model anti-hate law for America. And out of that competition in 1988, uh, ADL was able to pass their Hate Crime Statistic Act of 1990, which would mandate uh, reporting of hate crimes in America. It also put ADL basically in the driver's seat with the FBI, the Justice Department, and all local law enforcement uh, agencies that clear down to the local precincts in which the ADL would instruct uh, all law enforcement in America concerning ADL's twisted definitions of hate, bias, prejudice, and so on. And uh, uh, then uh, throughout the 1990s, uh, ADL is, is very proud uh, that of the fact that it persuaded 45 U.S. states to adopt some version of its anti-hate law. But the big, uh, the big goal has always been a federal hate crimes law. And in 1998, that was introduced by ADL into Congress. And uh, just about that time, uh, we came on the scene as the main antagonist to the federal hate crimes bill, and we have been uh, an important part in defeating it uh, uh, five times, uh, clear up until it was finally passed by the House and the Senate of this spring. Uh, let me ask you, when, when ADL has gone around to these different groups providing this advisement on what hate crimes is, are they normally compensated by these groups that they go to to speak? Well, I don't know about that. Uh, ADL has about a $70 million budget, but they, they usually get most of their money from appealing to the Jewish, the left-wing liberal Jewish community in America, claiming there's a, an epidemic of anti-Semitism and people should pay big money to have ADL uh, keep anti-Semitism at bay. Uh, of course, the truth is that ADL stimulates anti-Semitism by creating Christian persecuting hate crimes bureaucracies everywhere. Do, do, do you know who some of the big names are, people in politics, business, Hollywood, whatever, who are well known to be large contributors? Well, the, the whole liberal uh, system in America is, is uh, basically socialistically oriented. 20th century liberalism, in fact, is a product of of the Bolshevik socialist ferment uh, in, in Russia and migrating to America in the 30s during the, the New Deal. So there is hardly any prominent liberal, whether it's in Hollywood or in, in government, uh, state government, federal government, in education, whatever, who is not, has not been contacted by ADL, is not on their list, and 
it is not a part of it. Uh, Janet Napolitano, I understand you interviewed her this spring. She slavishly appraised ADL at their big national convention. President Bush praises praised ADL and Fox. There is not a prominent politician that is not basically. uh, beholden to the ADL and, mm-hmm. and working with them. Yeah, I guess they dare not. You know, right. uh, it's well known that Jesse Jackson and his group, Rainbow Coalition Operation Push, would actually hit big corporations and basically hint that if they didn't make large donations, that they would just suddenly find themselves in some discrimination lawsuits. That's common knowledge yeah. for everyone. Do you sense that, that whether directly or indirectly, politicians and others get the feel that either they can curry favor by donations this way, or at least be able to avoid harassment later by doing these things? Well, well, absolutely. Uh, ADL, of course, is hand-in-glove with APAC, the American-Israel Political uh, Affairs Committee, and their pressuring on all members of Congress on, uh, on on the left and the right is very well known, very well documented. Amir Shiner and Walls and others have done that in a superlative way. Well, get, getting on to the, where we are today in understanding... Uh, the scope of what we're looking at with this current generation of hate crime laws that are that's going to be received by President Obama. Uh, what is a summary that you could provide us of the actual content of the current proposed hate crime laws that are now before Congress? How, how would you summarize the scope and, and the implications? Well, I would say I would say they uh, at, they trash at least three amendments to the Constitution. Of course, the 14th Amendment says that the government has no business exalting one group above another, and yet Attorney General Holder blatantly told us uh, that that's exactly what the federal hate crimes will do. It is not interested in equality of justice for all. In fact, uh, at my website, truthtellers.org, I do have a 10-minute video there with a lot of clips of Holder under being grilled by by especially Senator Sessions, in which he spits, spits all this out and says this is basically very discriminatory legislation, giving federal protection in violation of the 14th Amendment. And then the 10th Amendment, the, the Federal Hate Crimes Bill, is called the Local Law Enforcement Enhancement Act. It basically the federal government to go down into local law enforcement and have complete privileges to investigate, to uh, arrest, to indict, to prosecute on the local level. Now, of course, t- traditionally we have something called states' rights in law enforcement uh, granted by the Tenth Amendment and, and, and the Constitution in which we have delegated rights that the federal government, uh, except in certain civil rights instances, uh, cannot transgress. But what this does is it creates basically a seamless unity between federal law enforcement and local law enforcement. Now, when you have federal policing powers and local policing powers the same, that is the virtual definition of a police state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, excuse me. One, one more. Uh, it, it also tra- will trash the First Amendment to the Constitution, and. Uh, uh, back in 1968, just after Martin Luther King, the, the uh, Congress passed uh, Title 18, Section 2A, which is a, a proto-federal hate law. And, and, and that, uh, that law says that if anyone, through their verbal communications, will incite uh, anybody else to an act, uh, a violent hate crime, then that person 
whether he's a pastor from the pulpit or a talk show host on the radio, can be held liable for inciting a hate crime and have the same punishment sit in the same court alongside the active offender. Now, that's very dangerous. Uh, as a result of a, a very great deal of uh, activism led by the National Prayer Network, however, this spring, we were able to put some fear into the Democrats uh, in, in the Senate uh, uh, floor action, and uh, the Brownback Amendment was accepted. Uh, the Brownback Amendment says, in no uncertain terms, that under this legislation, under the hate bill, uh, these people uh, in the media, in the pulpit, and so on, cannot be held uh, indictable for the effects which their general speech has upon the general public. If they actively and immediately cite to violence, like uh, like inciting to riot, then that, that would be indictable. But the Brownback Amendment puts a certain caveat in the hate bill that does guard uh, pastors and, and free speech advocates. Okay. Uh, well, then that, that explains. I had a minister just mention to me that they thought they had had protection that was installed uh, in this legislation, and they were breathing a sigh of relief. And I told them, well, don't be so comfortable about that. Uh, that, that That's that, right. It, it, yeah. I, I should make it very clear that uh, the uh, the Brownback Amendment is kind of like a drag, anchor, a drag anchor in the ocean behind a sailing ship under full sail. The whole... The whole momentum and forward movement of this hate crimes bill is to create a bias-oriented justice system in America uh, in which the federal government has an extremely acute interest in any kind of bias or thoughts manifesting themselves in speech that lead to some kind of a violation of the law. Now, under this legislation, what is going to happen is that uh, once the ADL uh, has, uh, has an army of prosecutors trained, and it's, it's publicly saying it wants to do that now, uh, there's going to be all kinds of indictments, all kinds of cases coming before judges at every level of the judicial system. And these are primarily liberals, and they will primarily reason this way. They will say, well, uh, uh, this law should do more than just protect homosexuals, for example, from violent physical crimes. This, this law should also broadly protect them from verbal violence, those cutting words especially that come out of Leviticus and the Book of Romans and so on that demean and diminish right. homosexuals. And so legislating from the bench, these, these, these justices, these, these uh, uh, judicial authorities will make law and they will broaden out this law and and the Brownback Amendment, and there's another part of the Article 10 of this bill which says nothing shall be done to infringe free speech rights. All of that will just be kind of dragging along behind as as this, this law uh, inexorably broadens into a broad speech crimes law for America. Mm-hmm. So, so as I understand it, they may, for the sake of getting the, the larger legislation passed, they may make some strategic retreats in the short term like, like the Brownback Amendment. But at yeah. the same time, they can put other legislation requiring uh, church staff to hire, say, so many people of various diversity of types, and they can use other kind of laws, whether it's employment discrimination laws or other kind of things, yeah. to accomplish similar goals, even if they haven't been able to uh, stop the speech and the voice behind the pulpit of a pastor. Well, there. You see, what happens in all of these countries is that the, the laws are established and the illusion is given 
number one, that it protects everybody, which is always a, a, a falsity. Uh, but uh, there's very little compromise in this bill. This, this bill is ready to go uh, against Christians and uh, those who uh, uh, are critical of homosexuality primarily. And uh, uh, if, if anything you say or does uh, it can be construed to have, com- to have contributed to a hate crime, or verbal violence, whatever, you you are not in a safe position. We saw, in fact, under the ADL's Pennsylvania hate law back in 2006, I believe it was, 2005, uh, where where uh, 11 Christians were out in the public square in the middle of a huge uh, gay rights uh, fest in, in Philadelphia. It's called Artquake, or, or called... Um, what was it called? Anyway, a gay fest, something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these Christians did nothing more than sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord, and hold up some signs of violence on them. And the ADL's uh, district attorney, uh, Lynn Abraham, who is a who is the district attorney of Philadelphia and a top honcho, top of national board, executive board member of ADL, she had them all arrested. She threw them in, in jail for 21 hours. She socked them with a total of $49,000 in fines and possible uh, 80 years or so in prison uh, just for the hate crime of, uh, of criticizing homosexuality, and she did it under the ADL's Pennsylvania hate law, you see. Now, when these, when these ADL liberals want to go after somebody, they are not going to worry about the fine print of the caveats in the law that might put some restraint upon them. What they do is they go ahead, they arrest first, they indict first, and then they let the victims catch up with them in appeals to the courts in the years to come. And in the case in Philadelphia, uh, the, 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 higher, the corrupt higher courts in Philadelphia threw out uh, the, the case of Michael Markavich and these 11 Christians that they had been unjustly arrested and imprisoned because the whole system is rotten. And so that's why it is so awful to have these laws uh, delegated and put over in the hands of the courts. You know, we, we, sometimes we say, well, the, we'll, we'll, we'll run this through the courts. We'll have appeals and cases in the courts. Well, you're, you're giving it over to the devil. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, I can't think of middle name, actually. I'm in trouble, Bionic. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to disappoint so many people out there. Well, no, technically there was a middle name, yeah. so in fact I just... You know, you know what we try to do on an issue like these hate crime laws is really explore in a short period of time the mm-hmm. facets of how this could impact us. Yeah. And, and it, it reminds me a little bit of the, the fact how easily people's names can get, get on lists, like there's a thousand organizations that mm-hmm. are hate crime organizations. Well, you may recall uh, one of the producers for, for one of our uh, – well, well, for Alex Jones, you may recall that mm-hmm. whole story about the whole thing where they tried to get him to bring his rental car back in and he didn't do it. Right. And then they called him and said, well, you're – we." We put your name on the terrorist list. You'll never fly again. Ha 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 ha. And you know. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, it's like a McCarthyism kind of blacklisting. Yeah, except like way crazier. Right, bigger yeah. impact. Yeah. Well, we're going to get more into it tomorrow, but in, uh, we need to bring Merv in. Merv, would you tell our listeners how to contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, 
and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Sorry, I almost missed Mark. Speaking of crazy McCarthyism. <laughs> okay, we got to go, ladies and gentlemen. Come back tomorrow. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Man, so many last names, so little time. Bionic. Mm. Middle names. That's different. Bionic. Well, we're going back to the second part of our interview with Reverend Ted Pike of the National Prayer Network. We appreciate him being available on short notice uh, to come on because time is extremely short uh, with legislation in front of the president on the hate crimes laws. Uh, where it's really up to him to veto, and it's, yeah. we're going to need people to actually contact their congressman, contact the White House to say, please do not do this. Uh, we mentioned yesterday, too, that uh, uh, this is our first interview, first contact with uh, uh, Reverend uh, Pike, and uh, he, he uh, has been a controversial figure by his own admission uh, because uh, some of his information online is ex- extremely useful, uh, but he's taken a position that... Uh, some of the religious background affiliation of these groups that have gone after Christians influences a lot of what they do and and degree of how organized it is and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so you may see some of that if you look on his website. And uh, we just encourage everybody to study his materials carefully and make your own opinions on uh, things. And that goes for all of our guests that we have on here. Uh, we have guests that are specialists on the impact of different groups, like we mentioned yesterday, be it Muslims, uh, New Age, secular humanist, whoever it be. This is something uh, on his heart. And, in fact, he writes a lot about Scripture, about what God's plan is for Israel, and a lot of things in Scripture. And I think uh, it can be an interesting discussion to challenge us. But we just want to make sure people were aware of that when they saw it, uh, because we've got a very important discussion here in this next segment and something we need to talk about at the end that's some real food for thought. So any last words? UFOs, Rockefeller, Nephilim. Okay, we got him out, got of, him out of the one. <laughs> All right, with no further ado, here's Reverend Ted Pike uh, talking about the imminent hate crime laws and what we need to do uh, to stop this impact on Christianity. And then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Forces that are arrayed against Christian values have invested in the court system for generations to get their people in the court system. And we're bringing yeah. up the rear. So they, they have been well arrayed to make sure that they make arrangements you know, of this nature. reminds me a lot of the Book of Acts where uh, they couldn't, they couldn't beat Paul in a one-on-one discussion, so they whipped up a mob. Yeah, that happened. That you know, every chapter, it's like, well, we can't win, so right. here comes the mob. That's right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, l- l- let me let me clarify something here about the pastors. So our pastors who are listening understand that there, there was an amendment to, I guess, provide some narrowly based focus of protection of what they say from behind the pulpit. How far does that protection extend? And what about people who are laypersons? that are not standing behind a pulpit in a church, but are out speaking out in the public somewhere, or even in a building that's not a church, and speaking in love about people who need deliverance from this or that, or whatever. How, how far does that reach for people of faith, and where does it stop? Well, in order to, to understand the potential of this federal hate crimes bill, you have to go to other countries. 
who have had perhaps even decades of experience uh, in showing how very similar legislation has evolved. For example, in Canada, the ADL in 1971 persuaded uh, Ottawa to, uh, to enact their hate crimes bill, and they made exactly the same promises and provisions of free speech provisions, human rights provisions as the, as the federal hate bill. They said, oh, no, this, this legislation will never threaten free speech. This is only to give federal empowerment to put down violent hate crimes, violent hate speech inciting to violence out in the provinces. But what happened was very quickly these liberal provincial administrators and legislatures broadened out the, the hate bill uh, so that uh, the original tax and protections were forgotten. Now, it's easy for me to say, well, the Brownback Amendment is going to make it safe for pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, the, tenth, the Article 10 of the hate bill will make it safe for pastors. But as I say, the whole idea behind this legislation is to create a dual justice system in America. Mm -hmm. Up in Canada, you have old-fashioned English law concerning run-of-the-mill crime. But they also have this, this parallel justice tribunal system in which you have one hearings officer and you bring a hate crime, uh, uh, a person accused of a hate crime before him, and truth is not allowed in these hate crimes tribunals. The only criteria is whether members of a federally protected group have felt hurt by your criticisms. And if they claim they have been hurt, that means you are guilty. Minimum $5,000 fine minimum losing your broadcast license, and so on. Now, as I say, the letter of the law uh, in this hate bill does, does in, include provisions, Article 10, as well as the Brownback Amendment. But when, this law, when, when literally hundreds of cases are brought before judges in the next few years nationally, and all of them begin to make a law broadening, adjudicating from the bench, uh, in, in, in a direction toward a broad speech crimes law, I don't believe the Brownback Amendment is going to amount mm -hmm. to too much. Well, what, what about our radio show here, independently produced show? How vulnerable are we? We, we try to handle taboo topics. We try to handle it fairly. Uh, we, we, we call ourselves taboo quake. <laughs> but, we, but we try to handle issues that people are afraid to talk about or intimidated to talk about, but talk in a fair, reasonable manner about them. Are we vulnerable to these laws? Well, part of part of the effect of hate crimes laws is that it casts a chill over free speech. Now, one of the things that's characteristic of all hate crimes laws is that they are purposely written in vague language, mm -hmm. so nobody quite knows what the law really says in vague legalese language. And that, as I say, that makes everybody nervous. Uh, saying, uh, I think this is safe, I think this is biblical, I think this is documented. If somebody uh, uh, is offended, they might actually take me to court. They might uh, file a lawsuit against me, and who knows what a liberal judge is going to say. Right. And, of course, this kind of legislation opens up the possibility that anybody can take you to court. And it will be a flood of lawsuits, and, and, and with that kind of... Uh, jeopardy, why not just do the easy thing, talk about uh, uh, gardening or sports or something like that, or just biblical history, something that is bland and general, and that's a perfect description of where the church is, Christian radio and Christian talk radio are in Canada today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would submit to some extent in the United States as well, too. 
they may not be intimidated by a law, but but indirectly by 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 certain pressures and other things that are applied to them. There's certain topics they just simply do not want to touch, uh, yeah, and they respond it. to well, the groups that, that, that have power and influence that, that stop that. Uh, right right yeah. now they can talk about bombing people that don't have as much representation here on another faraway land and, uh, you know, killing them, and they can do that with, with, you know, reckless abandon. But there's other types of people and categories and things that they dare not speak of here. So it's all yeah, based well, upon who see, has their own vested groups here looking out and applying pressure to, to uh, in the media. Yeah. Well, you see, uh, phase one of the ADL's program to bring hate laws to America or any country is to, number one, create a social environment which becomes, quote, unquote, intolerant of intolerance, in which on the college campuses, in education, uh, at work, and so on, it just becomes almost the unwritten law that you don't criticize homosexuals, you don't criticize federally protected groups, and so on. And then when the, the social climate is receptive and ready uh, in, in all of their respect for diversity and all this kind of thing, uh, then the ADL comes in with laws, and the, the ADL laws fit right in. The legislators have no problem. Uh, it's almost a win-win situation for them to pass laws which are against hate. Well, uh, who's who's not against hate? The Bible's against hate. Right. We're all against hate. So right. they, that, that's how the ADL was so successful uh, in the 1990s, 20 years after the sexual revolution, homosexuality, uh, virginity, See, there was a political, a social, and ethical climate which made it possible then to, to go to stage two, which is to actually legislate what people are already uh, socially enforcing among themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me uh, just very briefly, if you could mention uh, some different classes of, of situations Christians may find themselves in and how they may be impacted if these laws are passed. Uh, our Christian friends out there who are at work. And someone asks them about what they believe as Christians in the workplace. Uh, you know, they're 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 trying to be respectful of other people, sort of mind their own business. But people ask them what they believe, put them on the spot at the water cooler. How could what they say impact th- them and their career based upon these laws? Well, increasingly on the local level, we're talking down at the local county uh, uh, county uh, uh, level. Uh, planning commissions, the county commissioners, and so on, we are seeing a rash of of indictments today against anybody who uses hate speech against a commissioner or uh, a public official and so on. And just here uh, several months ago in in Vancouver, Washington, a few miles from me, somebody blurted out in a a county meeting uh, a a racial epithet, I guess he used the N-word against a black commissioner or something like that. Well, that guy was was very quickly arrested, indicted, and sentenced to, I think it was two months in jail here. Now, the truth of the matter is that they did not have the right under the Constitution to, to throw a man in prison for two months simply for a word. And under the, under the First Amendment, the First Amendment uh, is meant to guard imperfect speech, rash speech, uh, uh, politically incorrect speech, mm-hmm. discourteous speech, and all that kind of speech. 
And that is racial epithets or smears or whatever are included in that kind of imperfect speech. Now, now you're like not you're not in, justifying that speech at all, right? As a minister of the gospel, no, it's no, immoral. Not, not at all. It's it's immoral. No, and, and fact, it's uh, uh, it's sinful it, to God. It needs to be repented of. Uh, the, the 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 spiritual religious community need to you know provide uh, influence amongst their own uh, to make sure that amends are made and that people act. In, in an honest kind of manner, but uh, you know that's among people who voluntarily accept these these kind of things. You're talking about the coercive power of the government for them to make the decisions on what offensive and what is not, and apply their own means. Uh, and that, and that's right. and it, it it will be decided by people of which, in many cases, you will not have influence in the policies that are made and how to mete out that justice. That's right, and that would include. Uh, Profanity, even blasphemy, and whatever—I don't approve of any of those things. But I'm not going to send somebody to prison for for two months, ruining his life and his job just because of a word or a phrase. And, and the, the, you see, the the founding fathers were very aware that in in England and Europe, <clears throat> the kings and the princes could could send you to the dungeon if you didn't tip their hat toward them or mm-hmm. use the right kind of language, your honor, your majesty, or swear in court. Uh, George Fox went to prison many times, founded the Quakers, just because he didn't have the right language and genuflect before the nobility. And we can't, they knew all about that, and, and therefore they, they said we're going to allow a broad margin for imperfect speech uh, under the Constitution. I like to think of the American flag as having fringes around its sides. And these fringes stand for me, to me, stand for the various fringe elements and fringe speech, which is allowed under the First Amendment. And this, a lot of this is unpleasant, but really, sometimes you, you have to be unpleasant in, in spitting out the whole truth. And sometimes even in the Bible, the prophets like Ezekiel and others use some pretty raw language to, to shock the, the Jews into a conviction of sin. Or any, yeah, right, or, or any group that they're speaking to at this point. The, the, the fact is, all of us, no matter how mainstream we may see ourselves, the time will come in our life when we will be perceived by others as that fringe. And we need to preserve that. We need to preserve that protection for others, because it will. First of all, that's just the right thing to do. But secondly, there will be a a time that we truly need that individually to protect ourselves. Now, uh, I want to sort of wrap this up. But if what I understand you're saying right, there are people out there who call you uh, an extremist. That you you yourself, uh, uh, Reverend Ted, that that you're an extremist. They say a lot of terrible things about what your motives are that you want to hurt people, although I've never heard you say that you want to hurt people. They'll make all sorts of things that really are are untruths, but I've never heard you say that those people ought to have the law thrown at them and they ought to be put away because they said terrible things. Now, Now, sometimes it's borderline slanderous, but if they say mean things about you, I've never heard you say that, that there needs to be a law to go throw those people in jail. But the, the counter is not true, though. The counter is not true. Those who are... who are uncomfortable with what you say about them, want to make a law to throw you in jail for what you say that is offensive to them, correct? That's right. This is all very one-sided. Again, uh, it's uh, Eric Holder said it out more clearly than ever before in the, in the hearings in the Senate Judiciary. This law is about protecting special interests uh, against uh, uh, the 
so-called homophobic or bigoted or anti-Semitic uh, speech that might come from the general white Christian uh, uh, So, I mean, obviously you're as offended about what these groups say about evangelical Christians is they are offended about what you say about them. It's just the fact they want to throw you in jail and people like you in jail, and we don't. That's right. Uh, any, any, any Christian or any white, uh, any heterosexual male who, who is a bona fide victim of a bias-motivated hate crime has absolutely no recourse to the law in any hate crimes country or even under state hate laws as they stand here in the United States. If he is physically assaulted, verbally assaulted, whatever, the only thing he has recourse to is just conventional law against maybe slander, against uh, assault, and so on. But, of course, if you are black, Chicano, woman, uh, homosexual, Muslim, uh, etc., then... then the whole the whole apparatus of the hate crime system comes rushing to your aid as a specially protected uh, victim. Well, I'd like to warn those people of those other kind of uh, um, situations or representations that you just mentioned that you're may next. be listening. You know, that I, that, yeah, yeah you're next. you you may have special protected status right now that you can enforce this over others, but there may come a time when you lose that political power and emphasis. And these same laws that you helped draft will be used against you, and there'll be there'll be nobody to protect you if if you are one of these categories that Reverend Pike just mentioned, and and suddenly for whatever reason you lose your power, your political power, it is a hammer that you forge that will be used on your head, and so one thing that should unite all of us Americans, no matter how different our religious beliefs are, our beliefs about all sorts of moral issues and things, is that we all have an equal stake as Americans. It protecting our ability to do as we see fit in our self-determination and to protect our fellow citizens to do it. Because we all hang together or hang separately. It's just according to time when it, when it actually happens. Uh, let, let me mention just a couple more examples, and I've got, I want to find out more about these organizations that are, that are pushing this. Um, and, and another class of people who would be listening to our show are uh, not ordained pastors, but they're very active in their church. They may go on mission trips where they go out and do uh, street witnessing, or they go out on the beach and, and pass flyers or do things like that. Is, is that kind of language also in jeopardy because of these laws as well? Well, if you look into Canada already, you'll find that uh, uh, street evangelism in some parts of Canada is outlawed. In fact, uh, several years ago, I got a call from a pastor in northern Canada. He told me that that very day he had been out in the public square trying to ha- hand out some uh, some gospel tracts, and a policeman came up to him and told him that that was now a hate crime under the provincial law of, 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 of that province of Canada. Certainly in England now, it is, it is literally against the law to wear a, a cross of Jesus Christ around your neck, which is... Which is uh, viewed as an indictment of non-Christians, judgmentalism toward them, and so on. Again, uh, the best way to, to tell where the hate law is coming is, is, is a couple of criteria. Number one, it all comes from ADL, which is a militantly anti-Christian, pro-homosexual organization. And, and number two, just look at the record in, in, in countries where these laws have been enacted, and you'll see where we'll be in a few years. Well, um, <clears throat> you mentioned... Uh... Uh, you know, a, a few scenarios there. Another country that came to mind when you talked about bans on uh, Christians sharing their faith is actually the nation of Israel. 
Uh, I understand that you're not allowed to do that there, even though they received huge sums of money of support. Big time. They'll arrest from, you if they, see, they catch you out on the street. From the evangelical community, huge amount of, of financial support and other support. But those same people, they're allowed to come spend tourist dollars, but they're not allowed to share Jesus Christ. Am I saying that correctly or not? Uh, you, you certainly are. The, the first anti-missionary law that Knesset passed was back in 1977. Uh, it was passed actually on, on December 26, 1977, and it uh, imposes a five-year prison penalty for anyone who, who gives some kind of material inducement uh, toward the, the conversion of a, of a Jew away from Judaism to another religion, specifically Christianity. Now, that law has not been rigorously enforced in full effect because, as you say, uh, we bring in uh, uh, staggering amounts, Christians do, of staggering amounts of tourist dollars every year, and the Israeli government uh, needs that and does not want to offend evangelicals. But subsequent laws have been passed. For example, it is flat-out illegal to witness, for any Christian to witness to a, an Israeli under the age of 18 right now. And uh, uh, there are other restrictions, uh, particularly uh, you, you cannot witness, if you could, if you could to talk to an Israeli uh, about Jesus, you are not to do it overtly. For example, if you're in a cafe, if somebody hears you, uh, then it's too, too loud, it's it's quote-unquote overt proselytization. It can bring the police. And believe me, the, the police will come if tourists are witnessing for Christ or handing out any kind of tract. A tract is considered a material inducement. A cup of, a cup of coffee you might uh, uh, buy for an Israeli uh, talking about Jesus, even in a historical context, could put you in uh, un under arrest in, in Israel. Mm. That doesn't sound like a pro-Western democracy to me because that goes against the fundamental values that we have certainly valued here. Uh, you know, it, it even sounds like to me that Paul had more rights under Roman law in his ministry in that area than what Christians might have today. It wasn't even a, they couldn't even bind him. That was that was the whole thing, right? You know? Right, because because of his his appeal. Yep. Uh, okay, so I, I I think we get the grasp of of, of what you're coming from uh, with this. Um, well, I, I think just one more thing on that. I think the, the most egregious thing to me is that do you realize there are fifty, there are at least fifty uh, conservative Christian organizations in the United States who have solemnly promised in writing to the state of Israel that they will not allow any member of their tour groups to witness for Jesus Christ in Israel. Do you know what this does to the Holy Spirit? It says you've got you to gotta check in the Holy Spirit as soon as you get off the airplane at the Tel Aviv airport. You've got to put him in there with your baggage and leave him there for the next two weeks while you wander around flattering the Jewish people as, as the apple of God's eye. This is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because Jesus told the church to go into all the nations starting at Jerusalem, telling them the whole truth about the precious gospel of the kingdom. Now, here somehow everything is reversed. You can talk about Jesus everywhere in the world except at Jerusalem and at Israel. This is a sin against the Holy Spirit for people to go in there and slight the Holy Spirit to ignore him as he would like to lead you to lead, to lead some lost Jewish precious soul to salvation in Jesus Christ. This is a searing 
a searing influence upon the conscience of Christian Christians, which uh, is absolutely intolerable. Well, you should have no right to call yourself evangelical anymore. Uh, if 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 you're willing to be intimidated away from soul winning, it, it seems like to me that uh, the apostles, when they ministered in that area, said that we would rather obey God than men. And it looks yes. like these evangelical Absolutely. groups have turned it around the other way. Uh, yeah, and they, they said that the they said that the name of Jesus was so precious that they would not deny His name. And Jesus said, "If you deny me before men, I'm going to deny deny you before God and the holy angels." And yet, pastor people like John Hagee and others say that well, when we're in our special meetings and when we are uh, associated with Jews, we have a right to ignore the name of Jesus, to ban the name of Jesus in prayers, and so on. He's going to have to answer to God for that. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Bionic. You know, this. we've got to be quick here. Uh, the, the This whole topic about these organizations that um, have pursued Christianity, and if you say anything about them, you're surefire going to get on a list to be in trouble. Yeah. It's the kind of thing we need to stand strong no matter who the group is to not allow that happen to any of us in society. Mm-hmm. But the thing of all the controversy of the show... At the end of this last segment, I probably did the biggest controversy about talking about nations that restrict Christians uh, spreading their faith. And Israel yeah. is one that comes That's to terrible. mind. That's a terrible uh, thing. As much as there's been a connection between evangelicalism and Israel, and, and I'll tell you what really concerns me. It, it's not so much the, the, I mean, the Israel thing. Israel's a sovereign nation. They can do whatever they want. I mean, I find it a little disingenuous that they come to collect money over here. You know, for their activities and for their support, but it's all disingenuous. But the big concern I have is with the evangelicals. How how could evangelicals tell their group going over there that you're not allowed to share Jesus Christ with someone that the Lord lays on your heart needs to hear the word? Uh, Paul would certainly disagree with that. You know, I, I just I just can't see because then you have to ask. Then they go. Then they go. Well, you might get put in prison. Well. What is the reason why you're there? Why are you taking it? Now, it's a big money maker. It's a vacation. It's a money maker for evangelical groups. And yeah, it's educational. But the fact is, what kind of purpose are what you're trying to do or promote if not to share the gospel as a as an evangelical Christian group doing mm-hmm. anything together? Yeah. You know, no. if, if you go to a country that's, that's normally non-Christian uh, by heritage, there mm-hmm. are times we will send missionaries with the understanding that you have to be low-key for a while, make relationships, and then eventually share your faith. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with any of this. This is something where you're going in and let everybody know you're evangelical, but you're purposely not sharing the word. Yeah. And that's something I think we need to talk about more. Well, let's get a list and name names. Okay. I know one name to name, and that's Merv, who could come in and tell us uh, how, tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. I'm guessing we are going to hear a lot of people about that. Oh, we're going and to I probably so brought it on ourselves. Yep. Come out well, swinging because... We'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, chew on the things that we have on the show. They're meant to stir 
internal inquiry in our own hearts. Mm -hmm. And I hope we've done that in the foster discussion that needs to happen. In spades. Well, until tomorrow, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, not CNN, Bionic. Okay, is this foreshadowing or or allusion to something our listeners don't know about? This is probably yes. Okay, that should clear things up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Future Quake Show. Hopefully the rest of the show will be clearer to you uh, this week. Uh, The first two days this week, we uh, had uh, Reverend Ted Pike drop in and talk about the hate crimes legislation Mm -hmm. that's ongoing uh, that, uh, as he says, is being pushed by the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, And at the time when this was up and right now, I think it's nearing potential of approval. Mm -hmm. It's according to whether the president vetoes it or not. Mm. Um, It changes from day to day, but it's something that's urgent. We felt like we needed to expedite a show on it so you were better informed, or at least were aware of it so you can do your own research. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reverend Pike is one of the few people, all the people we could find on short notice available to talk about the topic, as we said earlier this week. Uh, And uh, he's been attacked a lot for some of his positions. As an understatement. Yeah, he's, uh, in fact, even many Christian groups will not. Like a political uh, battle of the bulge going have, on 24-7. Have him his. because of his, um, not only his talk about these kind of things, but he gets into the religious background of a lot of these leaders, and he surmises about uh, the, the significance of it. And we sort of beat that horse in the last couple of days in, in the show. But uh, given that we have a couple more days uh, to uh, discuss this, uh, I thought it would be good if you and I did did a little bit of our own discussion here mm-hmm. on air with some research that we found mm-hmm. and uh, maybe supplement a little bit some information to let our our listeners make their own decisions about this thing, about the hate crime law legislation, uh, what we're up to with this or what, what we can be exposed to, mm-hmm. and uh, make their own informed decisions. And I hope we can do this in a fair and reasonable fashion but put information out there for people to consider. Uh, before we get started on that, I think there's a couple announcements. Okay. Um, you're you're going to be on the road, right? Going to be going to be on the road again. I just can't wait to be on the road again. Is this a singing I show or a news comment? <laughs> okay. Um, so we hope that goes well. Yeah. Something related ministry activities. Uh, and you like as that. well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going out to uh, Stan Monteith's Radio Liberty Conference. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm going up to Russ Dizdar's uh, Shatter the Darkness or Demolishing Spiritual Strongholds Conference. Man, what an exciting conference to be at. It, it's it was tough. I wanted to go to SoCal. You know, I mean, yeah. that's cool too. There's nothing. Yeah. But just I I think I need I need the info mm-hmm. going on there up at. Uh, up in Ohio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please pray for him. Uh, if you download the show, we're, we hope to have this uploaded on Friday uh, of, uh, what day would that be, the 23rd? Mm, I don't know. 20, 20, uh, 23rd? And so you'll be, that'll be when you'll be there, and then I'll be heading out the next day. So mm-hmm. please keep us in your prayers. I look forward to actually meeting Will Grigg face-to-face. Yeah, he said he was going to go out of his way to give you a big handshake and uh-huh. You know. Distance himself from me. Yeah. Uh, and Tom security, Horn. Security to the front gate. Tom Horn will be there. Um, oh, yeah. Can you imagine 
some of these people that both Tom Horn rubs the wrong way and Will Grigg, they might just scoop them up at that one meeting. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, along with Doctor Stan. Like everybody's there, like they come up with the right. real plan to beat the New World Order, and then a hair, Hellfire missile like flies yeah. through the front window. I think a big electromagnet is going to come over it and just pull everybody up on it. A big Probably electromagnet. By the, yeah, by the by the name tag, by the, just pull them up. <laughs> uh, Catherine Albrecht, who who's oh, specialist yes. in RFID, and I'm going to ask her we maybe have, about coming yeah, on a show. Yeah, we That'd be great. So uh, anyway, it's going to be some interesting times. Appreciate your prayers. Uh, speaking of Dr. Stan, he's been very gracious recently to invite me on his show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just on his show on the 16th in the morning. And the one the night of the 19th, if you go to RadioLiberty.com and click on the, the, the shows where you pass shows, uh, that's up there. He has a two-hour show that goes from 8 to 9 o'clock Pacific, and I'm in the second hour of that. I think you might really enjoy it. Some of the kind of stuff we talk about on Future Quakes on there. Mm-hmm. And then they've just had me back again uh, this past Wednesday on a show, and I've got a few more appearances going on. So we've had a chance to sort of link up Future Quake and Radio yeah, Liberty a little bit that's more. that's cool. You can start calling it Radio Liberty with Dr. Future and some guy as much as and you're on. <laughs> no, the biotic man's always at the center of everything. Oh, right? I Mr. doubt that. Pyro. I'm not on Radio Liberty. Mr. Pyro. Yep. Well, uh, now it's time to get on into our discussion here. Yeah. Uh, we talked about how these groups are really pressing uh, regarding the um, hate crimes legislation and I have some things I printed up talking about the hate crimes legislation. Would you like me to read a little bit about it? Yeah, give us give us the spin on the hate crimes legislation. I tell you, stall for one second for me, would okay. you? Um, just just share some interesting information to people. Well, um, we and are. I've got, I'm pulling it right up, so please talk. The the biggest thing about all of this is that we're going to, uh, uh, as Ted Pike shared, uh, the scariest thing, as you know, for us as Christians, is that it really limits our free speech uh, to be able to talk about things that are biblically mandated. We've already seen the same sort of thing going on uh, as reviewed in several of our several of our latest articles in other places, both in Canada and in England. Uh, I think it was just a co- not, a, not more than a couple of months ago where we, uh, we reviewed a story where the, uh, uh, a gentleman was, was sharing his faith to some Muslims there in Birmingham, which is now an almost entirely Muslim community. Uh, and uh, the Muslims threatened to kill him, and the cops came in and said, well, they sort of got a point. You shouldn't be doing this. Right. And uh, uh, basically told him that, yeah, of course you're going to face reprisals if you do this. So don't expect any any help from us. We're seeing that sort of same type of cooling towards free speech here mm-hmm. uh, in, in America. And this hate crimes bill will like take it over to the top. Well, here's some information that I, I found uh, regarding these reports, just to summarize, you remember the Missouri Mayak report that came out this spring? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a few statements. This is out of page 23. Now, these documents, this one in the Department of Homeland Security, are acknowledged both by these groups and the government as being largely using the information provided to them by the Anti-Defamation League and, and Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, it warns about right-wing extremists that are dangerous and includes people like, you know, veterans and things. It says, uh, militia members most commonly associate with third-party political groups. It is not uncommon for militia members to display constitutional party, which they spelled that wrong, mm-hmm. uh, campaign for liberty or libertarian material. These members are uh, usually supporters of former presidential candidates Ron Paul, uh, Chuck Baldwin, or Bob Barr. Uh, and, you know, then they mention other kind of things. It says they worry about things like uh, the U.N. law enforcement and the New World Order, 
uh, in a derogatory manner. They refer to the New World Order in a derogatory manner. Can you believe that? Uh, and it yes. also includes anti-immigration, anti-abortion material, mm-hmm. usually are displayed. So those are the people who are in danger. Now, the Department of Homeland Security report, which which was a national report, came out from Janet Napolitano. Now, this report was worked at, to be fair, under the Bush administration, mm-hmm. and it was released just after Obama took office, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is just one – I'll just take one paragraph because of time. This is the DHS report on right-wing extremism this year. It says, uh, historically, and this is on page five of the document, historically domestic right-wing extremists have feared, predicted, and anticipated a cataclysmic economic collapse in the United States. Prominent anti-government conspiracy theorists have incorporated aspects of an impending economic collapse to intensify fear and paranoia among like-minded individuals and to attract recruits during times of economic uncertainty. Conspiracy theories involving the declarations of martial law, impending civil strife or racial conflict, suspension of the U.S. Constitution, and the creation of citizen detention camps often incorporate aspects of a failed economy. And it gets better. Anti-government conspiracy theories and, quote, end times prophecies uh, could motivate extremist individuals and groups to stockpile food, ammunition, and weapons. These teachings have been linked with the radicalization of domestic extremist individuals and groups in the past, such mm. as the violent Christian identity organizations. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Not that that would ever describe any subject matter on our show. I think we're completely clear of that. Have you ever covered any of those topics? No. I don't know what you're talking about. So uh, that's, that's that's what we're talking about. And uh, as I've understood and told, and, and neither one of us would claim to be experts on this, we just want to challenge our listeners to go do their own research, mm-hmm. come to their own conclusions, mm-hmm. is that these two organizations go around to law enforcement, provide the materials that finger people that believe this kind of stuff mm-hmm. as right-wing extremists and are dangerous. Yes, correct. And, in fact, they have done things like pulled people over. Uh, one of the Ron Paul officials uh, wouldn't let him board a plane after uh, one of their uh, convention meetings mm-hmm. uh, and gave him a hard time for having money on him, which was collected by the... Members of the party. Well, it even goes so far as one of these organizations we're we're going to get into here. Uh, one of the founders was uh, arrested and accused of suborning perjury in a criminal proceeding uh, to uh, doing that sort of stuff. You know, giving right. money to a right, giving money to somebody. Well, let me just give one more quick quote. We'll get into the information here. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a video, and actually they uh, played this in Camp FEMA. Uh, but you, the documentary, but you can also go on YouTube and find this. It is a video clip from a TV news station, KTVI, I believe it's in Missouri, uh, and they're interviewing a person from the Anti-Defamation League, and they talk about the Constitution Party, which is the third largest party in the country, and says that they are a fringe, right-wing political party that we consider to have extremist roots and is a Christian nationalist group. Uh, you know, I went to that comp- the convention of that group. I saw nothing but godly, peaceful, you know, peaceful, yeah. God-fearing people there. So, well, that's extremist in their eyes, perhaps. Maybe, maybe that is extremist. Mm-hmm. I saw no fatigues or camouflage. I saw no nobody packing guns on their back. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anybody talking about fighting the government. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I heard them talk about actually getting the government back to its roots. You mm-hmm. know, via lawful election of officials. Mm-hmm. That believed in you know the proper roles of government and founding fathers. Well, it's very interesting. Um, uh, a similar organ, the other organization we're going to talk about, the SPLC, 
wrote an article where they tried very, very difficult. And if we have time, perhaps, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll tear it apart. But they tried very, very hard to link uh, uh, the founder of the Constitution Party with uh, extremist groups. And it was just everything about the article was sort of perfectly worded to uh, convey a sense of, you know, like... And it just so happens they have insanity. opposite political opinions, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the question comes, is, is it the fact that these people always have the opposite political opinions? Could that be re- the real role of political suppression versus uh, protecting people? Uh, can I give just a quick rundown of uh, just a, like the basic tenets? Sure. You jump in and grab your material, okay. just like what we're doing now. On the Anti-Defamation League, um, I would suggest for people, if you want to just begin your discussion... Do like I do a lot of topics. Start at Wikipedia. You can get a lot of links there, mm-hmm. references, and then go start your study from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got some information from there. Uh, some people roll their eyes with Wikipedia, but everything I have here is referenced okay. with published documents on here, and you can go check it out yourself. It says uh, the Anti-Defamation League describes itself as the nation's premier civil rights human relations agency. Mm-hmm. The ADL states that it fights anti-Semitism and all forms of bigotry defends democratic ideals, and protects civil rights for all, while it advocates for Israel with policymakers, the media, and the public, and defends the security of Israel and Jews worldwide. Uh, it was founded in 1913 by the Independent Order of B'nai B'rith, a Jewish service organization in the United States. Uh, its original mission was to stop by appeals of reason, to reason and conscience, and if necessary by appeals to law, the defamation of the Jewish people. Uh, it, the ADL maintains that some forms of criticism of Zionism and Israel are actually anti-Semitism. The Anti-Defamation League states, criticism of particular Israeli actions or policies in and of itself does not constitute anti-Semitism. Certainly the sovereign state of Israel can be legitimately criticized, just like any other country in the world. However, it is undeniable that, those, uh, that there are those whose criticism of Israel or Zionism is used to mask anti-Semitism. Well, that's very interesting because we've talked, uh, we may have mentioned it on the show before, but I know that we've talked about uh, your, your various trips to, uh, to Israel and stuff where uh, you've noticed that the religious Jews there in Israel tend to view Israel as sort of an apostate state at this right, point. Right. And uh, that's what I was told yeah, by people who yeah, live and, there. And the the secular the secular Jews there in Israel view the religious views with some contempt. Right. Right. And so there's there's kind of an the 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 the, the religious orthodox types believe only Messiah can come and establish Israel. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the others believe more the secular atheistic mm-hmm. approach. And I don't mean to get hung up on Israel Zionism. It's just that sure. that was one of the earlier things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you find literature in ADL, that's a big part of what they mm-hmm. push. Uh, it says one of their major focuses is f- religious freedom for people of all faiths, which may be surprising given some of the actions report. Yep. Uh, it has, uh, on uh, context of public schools, the ADL has taken the position that because creationism and intelligent design are religious beliefs, now, they're based that on the presumption that intelligent design, for example, is a religious mm-hmm. belief. Uh, and that might be news to scientists of well, intelligent Dean Kenyon, design. Dean Kenyon, the guy who wrote the book, uh, Biochemical Predestination, has abandoned that, saying that it's no longer, uh, it's no longer scientifically viable. And that, what? Uh, uh, the standard, the standard uh, uh, evolutionary ideals of Evolution. yeah, biochemical, yeah. biochemical predestination. Right. And uh, has actually won lawsuits, and he has no huh. particular religious okay. uh, con- 
context. Well, they're, they're working from the presumption that creationism and intelligence are religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. It says, and the government is prohibited from endorsing the beliefs of any particular religion. Now, that part, I believe, is true and, and should be true. The government sure. should not endorse any religion. So, therefore, they should not be taught in science classrooms. Uh, one group they did come to defend, there was an anti-Mormon mil- film called The God Makers uh, that went around. And they fought that very, very hard themselves. Hmm. Uh, they said uh, people sincerely hope people of all faiths will repudiate the God makers as defamatory and untrue and recognize it for what it represents, a challenge to the religious liberty of all. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, that's so at least that, it's that group of Mormons they, they came to. Well, the question is, is the God maker, God makers untrue? I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. Uh, it was very popular during the... Uh, Run of uh, Mitt Romney, who's Mormon, oh, uh, during see. the campaign. Oh, was that about the Mountain Massacre? Well, no, it, it's actually a cartoon, and it shows uh, the fact that in Mormon belief that Jesus and Satan were brothers. Yeah. And that Satan was originally asked by God to be the savior of the world, and he turned it down, so Jesus mm-hmm. agreed to do it. Kind of very, a second. Very, very interesting. Yeah. But they did defend them. Did you have something you wanted to share? Because then I'm going to talk about their tracking extremists. Um. Go ahead and talk about the tracking extremists, okay. and then we'll get into their. That'll be a book, good, yeah. a good spring bound into their spine network. Right. The the ADL keeps track of the activities of various extremist groups and movements. According to ADL director Abe Foxman, our mission is to monitor and expose those who are anti-Jewish, racist, anti-democratic, and violence-prone. So either you're violence-prone or one of those other things, mm-hmm. and we monitor them primarily by reading publications and attending public meetings. Because extremist organizations are highly secretive, sometimes ADL can learn of their activities only by using undercover sources who function in a manner directly analogous to investigative journalists, uh, particularly when they work on Operation Mockingbird, you know, and are put in our FBI informants. Very good. Uh, some have informed great service to the American pe- uh, people, for example, by uncovering the existence of right-wing extremist paramilitary training camps with no recognition and at considerable personal risk. Uh, a person, uh, let's see here, uh, the ADL regularly releases reports on anti-Semitism and extremist activities on the far left and the far right. Uh, for instance, as part of its law enforcement agency research network, LEARN, the ADL has published information about the militia movement in America and a guide for law enforcement officials entitled Officer Safety and Extremist. Uh, and it, uh, he also has an additional uh, report called the Militia Watchdog as research on U.S. right-wing extremism, including groups not specifically cited as anti-Semitic. Uh, it says some details of their monitoring activities became public and controversial, including the fact that the ADL had gathered information about non-extremist groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says the ADL for many years refused to acknowledge that the Armenian uh, genocide constituted a genocide. We may have to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll jump in on I'm sorry, I, I, my notes didn't distinguish which switch gears here. Oh, um, uh, no, no, no. Well, we were going to, I think it would be best if we went over the uh, the ADL sort of private spy network. Yeah, talk, yeah. talk about that. Sorry about uh, that. My notes like, didn't yeah. cut off there. Oh, that's okay. Uh, well, it looks like we actually kind of went got some of the same sources. That's mm-hmm. good. Um, this is also from, uh, I believe, lifted right off of Wikipedia's website about him. Since the 1930s, the ADL has been gathering information and publishing reports on anti-Semitic racism and prejudice and on anti-Jewish, anti-Israel racist, anti-democratic, violent, and extremist individuals and groups. As a result, the organization has amassed 
what it once called a famous storehouse of accurate, detailed, unassailable information on extremist individuals and organizations. Uh, over the decades, the ADL has assembled thousands of files. One of its sources was Roy Bullock, a person who collected information and provided it to the ADL as a secretly paid independent contractor for uh, over 32 years. Bullock often wrote letters to various groups and forwarded copies of their replies to the ADL, clipped articles from newspapers and magazines, and maintained files on his computer. He also used less orthodox and possibly illegal methods such as combining, combing through trash and tapping into the white Aryan resistance's phone message system to find evidence of hate crimes. Some of the information he attained and then passed on to the ADL came from confidential documents, including intelligent files on various Nazi groups and driver's license records and other personal information on nearly 1,400 people uh, that were given to him by San Francisco police officer Tom Gerard. Uh, it gets more interesting. On April 8, 1993, police seized Bullock's computer and raid, raided the ADL's offices in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Uh, a search of Bullock's computer revealed he had compiled files on 9,876 individuals and more than three, 950 groups across the political spectrum. Many of Bullock's files concerned groups that did not fit the mold of extremist groups, hate groups, and organizations hostile to Jews or Israel that the ADL would usually be interested in. Along with the files on the Ku Klux Klan, Aryan Resistance, Islamic Jihad, and Jewish Defense League uh, were data on the NAACP, um, the African National Congress, uh, American Civil Liberties Union. Yep. Mm -hmm. The United Auto Workers. Jews for Jesus. The AIDS group, ACT, or the AIDS mm -hmm. Activist Group, I'm sorry, ACT UP. Mother Jones, that's an interesting mm -hmm. one. The TASS Soviet Russian News Agency. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, Jews for Jesus, I find an interesting one. An evangelical group they kept files on. Yeah. I'm sort of, I guess I'm not surprised. Uh, as well as politicians. Uh, including Nancy Pelosi, uh, uh, former Republican U.S. Representative, re representative Pete McCloskey, mm. um, Lyndon LaRouche, right. uh, is an activist. Uh, Bullock told investigators that many of those were his own private files, not information he was passing on to the ADL. An attorney for the ADL stated that we knew nothing about the vast extent of the files. Those are not ADL's files. That is all Bullock's doing. As for its own records, the ADL indicated that just because it had a file on a group did not indicate opposition to the group. Uh, the San Francisco District Attorney at the time accused the ADL of conducting a national spy network, but dropped all accusations a few months later. Ken, we're, we're getting to the end of the show here. Okay. Can I can I comment? Because I want us to talk about sure. that to me is the most egregious example of this, okay? Please do. It's one thing to go in and think there's something wrong. You go in... You have somebody in there monitoring, sort of keeping an eye on stuff. You're not stopping somebody doing their rights, doing their thing. You're just informing people of what's going on. Okay, that's one thing. It, the case of James Rosenberg, to me, is, is a case that's really where you, everyone see you cross the line here. It says a case which has been compared to the Bullock case was that of James Mitchell Rosenberg, a.k.a. Jim Anderson. Rosenberg slash Anderson was an undercover operative of ADL who acted as an agent provocateur, posing as a racist right-wing paramilitary extremist. 
He appeared in this role as part of a TV documentary called Armies of the Right, which appeared in 1981. Rosenberg was arrested that year in New York for carrying an unregistered firearm in public view. In 1984, ADL fact-finding director Erwin Sewell identified Rosenberg as an ADL operative in a court deposition. <laughs> so that means, rather than just tracking and informing people about extremists that could be violent, they are creating them. They are stirring it up and then reporting on it. To sell the public that this is widespread. Mm-hmm. Which is no different than what our government right now is doing with terrorists. When they go and create their own terrorist cell, as they say on mainstream TV, mm-hmm. they don't say it till later after they've done the arresting. Mm-hmm. But they will go and initiate a terrorist attack, go into these madrasas, mm-hmm. find some gentlemen of limited intelligence, offer them money to help them gather the materials. And as soon as they, the materials have been ordered, they come in and have a sting, announce it, that we're being successful in the war on terror. It's the same technique. It's not just monitoring what people are doing. It is actually creating and giving a misimpression to the public in creating these kind of events, which are they're creating the kind of events that they say they, they are against and trying to protect America from. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it would be uh, perhaps to close. Maybe I can get through this real quick. We had talked uh, a little bit, you and I, off air about uh, uh, this gentleman named uh, Rabbi Daniel Lapine, and I thought it would be good to have mm-hmm. here's a prominent conservative Jewish uh, rabbi Right. Commenting on 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 the Anti Defamation League, uh, uh, Lapine has declared the Anti Defamation League and its allies as dangerous organizations, organizations that are driving a wedge between American Jews and Christians. Uh, referring to ADL National Director Abraham Foxman, Lapine said that by calling the Passion of the Christ anti-Semitic, what he is saying is that the only way for Christians to escape the wrath of Foxman is to repudiate their own faith, which is pretty strong mm-hmm. language. Yeah. Uh, Lapine also rejects the idea that Jewish, uh, that the Jewish left represents Judaism. A conservative Jew, uh, he has excoriated many Jewish people for their leadership in, pr- in promotion of ideas contrary to traditional Judaism, such as abortion, homosexuality, and socialism. He argues that Jewish-born liberals have redefined Judaism to mean liberalism and redefined anti-liberalism as anti-Semitism. Lapine has said, it is time for us to recognize the charge of anti-Semitism for what it is, a political weapon intended to silence critics of liberalism. Pretty strong, and, and he's... he's uh, pretty he's, succinct. I mean, that's yeah. pretty succinct. And he's an Orthodox rabbi, so it's uh, you know, you know, an interesting commentary. Either you use the term you're anti-Semitic, or you're racist, or you're homophobe, or whatever, mm-hmm. okay? We're, we're not recommending that anybody do anything counter to Christ and his desire to love everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we are supposed to act in a loving, gentle way, but we're also supposed to speak out for truth, mm-hmm. because he is the way, the truth, and life, as best as we know and understand it, mm-hmm. in a fair and loving way. And if there's an atmosphere of intimidation where you're going to get a label on you that can stop you from it, we as Christians need to stop. We have let other people be persecuted because of that, mm-hmm. and now as uh, Reverend Wright has come to say, the chickens have come home to roost. Yeah. On us. And now we, we find evangelical Christians in the reports by the same people who yeah. have done this to other people while we stood by. Here comes New Miller's ghost. You know what? Here comes Merv to tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. 
that's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E, at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's it. Wow, that's heavy. Do your own research. Come to your own conclusions. Let us know what you think. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, with some more information. Uh, But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, some guy who's here, Bionic. Boy, you were slow on the draw at the beginning and during your name this time. Yeah, I know. I've been taking acting classes I at the Shatner School of Oh, acting. I thought you were taking some of those drugs we talked about on the DMT show that were ah, mood-altering. alien alligator! No. Sorry about that. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is the Future Quake Show, and uh, it's wonderful to be with you today. I know it's a very serious topic today, but we yes. had to we had to break the uh, ice a little bit because mm-hmm. we got to mellow ourselves out. These are these are ominous ended. days we're at, and mm-hmm. um, uh, the first two days uh, we had Reverend Ted Pike, uh, who was able to come in on very short notice, just on the eve of uh, the Senate and President Obama. Uh, potentially signing a hate crimes bill, and there's still an opportunity at the time of this airing for you to call your senators and congressmen, the White House, tell them to not sign these hate crime bill. It is the beginning of the crackdown on Christians and any other people of goodwill in our country to be able to express their views. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about that to some extent the first two days. We originally had a, another topic for Wednesday and Thursday that has been postponed, but it gave us an opportunity for you and I to do some of our own research, homework. Indeed. And yesterday we talked about the Anti-Defamation League, provided mm-hmm. some information that anybody can find online, and encourage our listeners to do the same thing. Do your own homework. Find out about these groups mm-hmm. because uh, some of these groups you may not care about, that they uh, uh, label names. But one day it will come home to roost to you, and uh, it may have already occurred. If you go look at the MIAC reports and the uh, Department of Homeland Security reports, if you are against abortion, if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in national sovereignty versus the UN, if you believe in controlling immigration in our country, if you are, uh, uh, even believe in end times prophecies, according to these reports, you are a potential right-wing extremist, a militia person that needs to be mm-hmm. monitored. Well, I think Daniel Lapine's uh, quote that I, I read at the end of the last mm-hmm. show was especially interesting in that uh, he sort of saw a the idea that uh, anti anybody who was opposed Judaism has kind of become liberal. And anybody in our who, country, particularly. Yeah, in our yeah. country. In our country especially. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, there are orthodox mm-hmm. pract- practitioners like... Mm-hmm. Uh, Rabbi Lapine that that are different, but we're talking yes. about the bulk of yes, and and what has happened is that uh, if you are sort of against this particular type of liberalism, you end up being labeled anti-Semitic. That you're against the whole faith or the race of people when you yes. just stand against the political mm-hmm. views of, yes. the, of the people. Okay, mm-hmm. now the other group that works hand in glove with them, and what they do is they go. All over the country, they go to any kind of institution, organizations, law enforcement, government agencies, 
they give them the de facto list of who the quote mm-hmm. bad guys are that need to be kept an eye on, and then mm-hmm. the government just takes it and uses it. Well, he's and, uh, and this yeah. the, yesterday was one of the groups, ADL, Anti Defamation mm-hmm. League. The other group is the Southern Poverty Law Center mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about today. Do you have some information on that, or you'd like me to get started? Uh, well, yeah. Let me well let me read the um their sort of in their who we are right from their own website. Okay. And just do a little paragraph or two of that. The Southern Poverty Law Center was founded in 1971 as a small civil rights law firm. Today, SPLC is internationally known as it, for its tolerant education programs, its legal victories against white supremacists, and its tracking of hate groups. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, the, birth pre- the birthplace of the civil rights movement, the Southern Poverty Law Center was founded by Morris Dees and Joe Levine, two local lawyers who shared a commitment to racial equality. Its first president was civil rights activist Julian Bond. Uh, throughout its histories, SPLC uh, has worked to make the nation's constitutional ideals uh, a reality. Hmm, interesting. The SPLC legal department fights, fights all forms of discrimination and works to protect society's most vulnerable members, handling innovative cases that few lawyers are willing to take. Over three decades, it has achieved significant legal victories, including landmark Supreme Court decisions and crus- crushing jury verdicts uh, against hate groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The Southern, and to just wrap up, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a nonprofit organization supported by the contributions of thousands of caring individuals. Our annual report and other financial information are available online. To help our fight for justice and tolerance, please see, please read how you can help. Okay. Well, can I mention just a few information about uh, uh, Julian Bond? You know, the, the first oh, yeah. president, Indeed. interesting guy. There's tons, of, there's tons out there, so go ahead. You know, one thing that stuck in my mind about him, and I remember watching this, uh, he hosted Saturday Night Live. In April 1977. Interesting. He was. It was a very interesting show. The, the most famous segment from his appearance was one that I still remember to this day. Again, mm-hmm. I've not seen it since that time, but uh, it was called the Black Perspective Skit, uh, where he was uh, talking to the cast member Garrett Morris, who's an African American, and he explained that the perceptions of black and white IQ differences. Uh, his theory was that uh, light-skinned blacks are smarter than dark-skinned blacks. Hmm. That's a very weird. Isn't that a weird thing, thing. to do? Now I'm not yeah. saying he espoused that. I'm just saying it, that was one thing that. Uh, but he made a big hit on Saturday Night Live being okay. on that show. Yeah. Uh, he um, he achieved a lot as far as um, uh, in you know he he had local office. He was even considered uh, in in Georgia. He was actually in the in the uh, Georgia legislature, and was considered to even be selected uh, for the um, uh, vice presidential nomination when he was too young. That was like when he was 27 mm-hmm. years old. Um, one of his con- his runs for the House of Representatives, he was accused of using cocaine and other drugs by the other <laughs> campaign member. <Yeah. laughs> um, but but now he was later a target of an investigation by a U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, but now this was his estranged wife Alice made accusations of drug use that he had to the Atlanta Police Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says that she later refused to testify to a grand jury after reportedly receiving a phone call from Andrew Young, who was then the mayor of Atlanta. Wow. So, well, interesting background with him. In another another quick thing. Um, in February, uh, several Februarys ago, this is from the, my information came from the Human, uh, Human Events, which is an mm-hmm. uh, online website, publishes different things. Uh, uh, he said... Uh, um, Bond warned the Republicans 
he was at the Fayette State University in Arkansas. Bond warned that Republicans' idea of equal rights is the American flag and the Confederate swastika flying side by side. The Fayetteville Observer reported this. Uh, when his comments provoked a firestorm of criticism, Bond lied, denying he likened the GOP to the Nazi party. He accused right-wing blogs of mischaracterizing his statement. I didn't say these things I'm alleged to have said. Uh, there is no one in the audience who can say I said them. Uh, how wrong he was. The Observer posted a 45-minute recording of Bond's speech online. In the same speech, Bond, Bond implied that Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice were token black appointees in the Bush administration, administration, which was using them as human shields against any criticism of their record on civil rights. Which mm. is heavy, you mm. know. But it's... It's uh, I, and I tried to p dig up mm. the audio, but uh, I couldn't find it. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. So. And there's much more. I mean, we we, we were able to get information on that short is, notice. That's just yeah. That's us just sitting down for a couple hours doing this. Mm -hmm. You know. Um. You have any more? No. I, I I I one of the most important things I think about Southern Poverty Law Center is how they raise their money. Oh, uh, would you yes. like to talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, the, although the SPLC itself, uh bills itself as a civil rights law firm. It devotes only a fraction of its resources to actual legal work, it appears. Uh, of the $28.9 million in expenses it declared for the year ending October 31, 2005, only $4.5 million went to providing legal services for victims of civil rights and justice and hate crimes. And uh, $838,000, we'll say, for specific assistance to individuals in the form of litigation services. Uh, according to its Form 990, which you can actually look up right there on their website, mm -hmm, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, roughly half of its of ex, its expenditures, 14.7 million, were devoted to educating the general public, uh, officials, teachers, students, etc., 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 etc. So, um, you know, in the 2007 article from Harper's Magazine. Oh, that's a very good one. There, um, the amount of money they currently had was 111 million dollars mm -hmm. uh, set aside. Uh, which actually is wealthier than the island of Tonga. Well, I actually saw... I don't know if that's significant actually, <laughs> or not, but I thought that was a curious statistic. You know, I saw a number that was actually higher. It said that uh, uh, it was a 50, 50, 50 million plus at the time. It's now approaching 100. They spent 31. Um, I saw a number that said that it was actually up to 152 million. Really? Which is a lot of money. Yeah, uh, 156.2. Yes, uh, oh, I see. Yeah. Yes, that's in 2008. That was a year later. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says during that we spent 69% of our total expenses on program services. Mm -hmm. So I assume that 31% is fundraising or something else. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, go ahead and tell us the, about their fundraising tactics. Yeah, you, it says the methods like. that they use are seen as unconventional for a nonprofit group. And that they're regularly criticized for the practices in charity ranking organizations uh, do not score or lowly score the group based on percentage of funds spent in different categories as compared to other nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Now, this is uh, uh, interesting. Uh, it says uh, a series by Dan Morris ran, uh, that ran in the Montgomery Advertiser in 1994 alleged that the Southern Poverty Law Center practiced financial mismanagement poor management practices, and misleading fundraising practices. Mm -hmm. Further, former African-American employees of the SPLC were quoted as saying that the organization was run like a plantation, yeah. which I would think be really hurtful for a civil rights organization to be described that way. Well, uh, keep going. Okay. Um, 
it, it says that November 2000, Harper's Magazine published an article, The Church of Morris Dees, How the Southern Poverty Law Center Profits from Intolerance, mm-hmm. by the author uh, Ken Silverstein, which was highly critical of the SPLC. In it, Silverstein wrote that the SPLC is the wealthiest civil rights group through years of escalating fundraising and that many of its donors do not know of its considerable assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asserted in 2000 that the two, American Institute of Philanthropy gave the center one of the worst ratings of any group it monitors, and it spent as much money on fundraising as it did legal action. Um, interesting. Also from that Montgomery Advertiser article, uh, in 1986, the entire SPLC legal staff resigned in protest of Dee's refusal to address issues such as poverty, homelessness, voter registration, and other issues they considered more pertinent to poor minorities rather than, rather than to get rich fighting a clan chimera. Oh, that, I'm sorry, that was actually Harper's. That was the uh, the Church of Morris Dees article. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Birmingham News uh, interviewed Dees and found the following. Uh, Christine Lee, uh, a Harvard Law School alumnus who interned at the center in 1989, uh, had this to say. I would definitely say that there was not a single black employee with whom I spoke who was happy to be working there. Uh, as I was told... Uh, at the S- at the SPLC, they don't need black people telling them how to handle black issues, which mm. is very strong language for the type of things that mm-hmm. you know. If you were a, uh, a civil rights organization, you wouldn't want your employees saying. Yeah. And you're you're reading this just out of mainstream. I'm reading this from the Birmingham News article that is, you know, that quotes it quotes uh, Miss Christine Lee, mm-hmm. a Harvard Law School alumnus who interned there. Yeah, part of the, the way they got their money, from what I understood in my cursory review of this group, um, was not only the fact that they have some kind of unnamed donors writing big mm-hmm. checks, which it'd be very interesting to know who those donors are, but uh, Dees was one of the principal architects of an innovative strategy of using civil lawsuits to secure a court judgment for money damages against an organization for a wrongful act and then use the courts to seize its assets money, land, buildings, and other property to pay the judgment. It's terrible. So basically, it's a shakedown thing. Mm-hmm. You accuse somebody of some event, you you get a judgment, and then you go in for heavy punitive damages to be awarded to your same group. Yes. Not so much that it is funding the offended party. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's say they did something where they discriminated against somebody. You know, it's a wrongful act. Mm-hmm. This money, as I understand it, is going back to the SPLC. Yes. Correct. And they basically just take over the buildings and lands. Now, let's look at that today, okay? Now we have Christian people who have been um, labeled right-wing extremists. We have hate crime laws that could be coming in. Mm-hmm. If they find a church, a minister of a church, or even just one of the people at the church, one of the officers, one of the staff people does something, they take an action, they could go in and just strip that church of its assets and everything else. Yes, they have a system that works to do that. Yeah. And immediately take over. Perfected it. So a, a mega church could stand to lose millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Not true. only ruining the people who are there, mm-hmm. and who knows how far down they'd hold liable. You know, the people, you know, would, mm-hmm. would elders or deacons or other leadership, would it go down further than that? But, you know, th- this this is yet another reason, just to branch off of this, mm-hmm. in the wisdom of churches... Um, Running lean. In other words, keeping money that comes in going out into service and not sort of sitting around in the coffers and not sure. having 
really fancy facilities with the chandeliers and the mm-hmm. all the fancy gyms and stuff like that mm-hmm. is because they're just sort of asking for one of these lawsuits, aren't they? I would think so, although I have my own doubts about some of these mega churches actually really preaching strident, stridently against sin and other things. So they may not even get their anger to begin with. Yes, they may not. Their ire may be mm-hmm. misdirected. But if there's money to be had there, we know the one God that everybody worships in our country is mammon. So well, a lot of people do that. It's true. They could probably find means to 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 find some way to shake down anybody if they mm-hmm. had a lot of money there. And the yeah. hate crime laws are going to bring these people out. Is all sorts of new fodder to be able to shake down people for more money. Mm-hmm. Um, I found some other interesting information about uh, one of the gentlemen who started at Morris Dees. Uh, he was actually, according to the Progressive. Now, now let me let me just say another disclaimer here. Okay. Because we're some people would think this information is very inflammatory. Well, we're just getting all it we're from doing is we're citing it from other sources mm-hmm. that are actually giving their references of of articles or other quotations in the media and things like mm-hmm. that. So you're just reciting this, just compiling some of it yeah. for our listeners to do their own research, right? Yeah, and I, I want to say that I I hope this doesn't come out sounding like I'm airing somebody's dirty laundry, but I think... But this is a group that has come after Christians. Yes, and what's going on is that they come off they come off using a charge of uh, racially charged epithets and stuff to uh, try and destroy people and destroy something. As you mentioned earlier, they they sort of innovated the legal strategy of see, suing for, for civil damages and then seizing mm-hmm. the property. Right. Um, uh, this comes actually from the Alabama Court of Civil Appeals, uh, CIV uh, 2114, uh, and that uh, was, was filed in 1979. So anybody who is in Montgomery can look that up. Perhaps explaining the SPLC's animus towards uh, traditional Christianity. Um, Dees was cited in 1979 by his ex-wife with a homosexual encounter during their marriage. She also cited numerous affairs with women, including his daughter-in-law and underage stepdaughter. Um, now, was any of that verified, do you know? Uh, no, that is not. But, that, mm-hmm. but, but I did get that from... Somebody who said they got it from the Alabama Court of Civil Appeals. I did not call the Alabama Court of Civil yeah, Appeals. But I mean, it was put into the re- the accusations were put into the record. Yes. Okay. So, um, that's a that's an interesting thing from a guy who seems to be very stridently anti-Christian. You know. Mm-hmm. And and part of the mission of these groups also is for gay rights as well too. Yes. So whether there's a connection mm-hmm. or not, let. People be yeah. a judge, and as we've, I think we've both we've both quoted here uh, the Montgomery Advertiser. Uh, they actually the the expose they did uh, was so good they actually won a journalism award uh, for uh, for a series of an, for this series that we're quoting here of incisive quote incisive and penetrating investigative articles exposing unethical fundraising practices of D's and the Southern Poverty Law Center. So, ah uh, man. I mean, I could go on and on and on with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much time do we have? Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to look at uh, maybe maybe an article that they've written, or do we want to... Um well, I'd like to make a few general comments. Okay. Uh, first of all, I've already said before um, that you should do your own research. Decide yourself. Mm-hmm. We've done our best to, on short notice, get information that's there, uh, let you consider it, use it. Um, there may come a day when they come after a show like ours. You know, we're sort of small potatoes. They probably don't even know we exist. But let's hope if that changes, 
Um, they may. And so, mm-hmm. listeners out there, you may know why they come after us after this show. That mm-hmm. You may know the motivations and justifications. I, our shows like ours. Yes. Many shows like ours that have had this information covered, mm-hmm. and uh, they may disappear in short notice. Mm-hmm. But at least we put the information out on the record that may be the cause the justification why they're trying to shut mm-hmm. down free and independent voices yeah. to do this. Um, I had a little comment sure. um, that's a general comment. Now, and, and this is also to be fair, it, you don't have to be involved in a, in a pro-gay group or, you know, against anti-Semitism or racism or anything like that to cross the line. The, the possibility even exists for Christians and Christian organizations to sure. cross the line. and I would say that they're seem to be equally culpable in some cases. And to bully and intimidate other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about dominionism a number of times, mm-hmm. where they want to enforce and push what we understand to be virtuous, godly, biblical uh, values. Mm-hmm. You know, We might not always agree with the dominionists on some of the details, but, but in general they're, they're attempted to be biblical-based. But to use the state to coercively force other people who mm-hmm. don't want to adopt them to force them on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found an interesting um, quotation here. Uh, let me see where I can uh, read it here. This is something from Gary North, who was a very popular uh, yes. economics person, economic uh, mm-hmm. gentleman, uh, very popular. Uh, he also is one of the leaders of the uh, Re- Christian Reconstruction Movement, which is closely tied to the Dominionist Movement, yeah. that believe that they are training people up to basically take over the reins of government and other parts of society mm-hmm. to really push and make America and then the world a Christian nation by force. Mm-hmm. Do it, and then Jesus can come after we've conquered the world sort that way. We we take it all, and then just he shows up, and we're like, hey, here are the keys, man. Yeah. Well, and, and this quote uh, came out of one of his uh, writings that he did, but I got it out of an anti-Christian publication. Interesting. Uh, and I may cite it later on a later show we have if we have that author or more, but it was anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. But they were trying to show something as, as far as innocuous as homeschooling was a danger to society. Mm. And I'm very supportive of homeschooling because it puts the power back into families for their mm-hmm. how their kids are going to be brought up and what kind of worldview they're going to have, uh, you know, in a safe environment. But they said there's a danger even in that. And I just want to hear that they cited this quote from Gary North for us to consider. Uh, He says in the document, The Intellectual Schizophrenia of the New Christian Right, out of Christian Civilization 1, written in 82, he says, So let us be blunt about it. We must use the doctrine of religious liberty to gain independence for Christian schools until we train up a generation of people who know that there is no religious neutrality, no neutral law, no neutral education, and no neutral civil government. Well, that's crazy. Well, not, he's not done yet. Then they will get busy in constructing a Bible-based social, political, and religious order, which finally denies the religious liberty of the enemies of God. Wow, it sounds like something out of V for Vendetta or something. So, do you understand that? I mean, th- these people are fighting for Bible values. But they said these people that are raised are going to construct a Bible-based social, political, and religious order. They imply that they're going to do it by force. And that denies the religious liberty of the enemies of God Mm -hmm. as defined by them. Mm -hmm. Now, you would naturally see how people who are not of a Christian belief system feel threatened by this and are going to push back harder. And are going to label people like this and the rest of us Bible-believing Christians as extremists. And, And also go against homeschooling. 
which is a wonderful, virtuous profession. But when we see people like this in our midst pushing things, the Christian community needs to be self-policing in the fact of who we associate with. You know, we may not have the power of the government to say, go throw that person in jail, nor should we. But we should be watching this activity separating ourselves from them and saying that is not what it's Christian not teaches us. that secular government is supposed to be our arm by which to force righteousness and a biblical worldview on people. I tell you when I hear things like that I'm really reminded uh, it really raises a you know a real dichotomy between gentlemen like that and uh, uh, gentlemen like uh, who we've had on like Carl Madaris and uh, you know to a lesser extent Colette Bercou who are out there you know, actually trying to affect change and really trying to love people, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a completely, uh, it almost reminds me of the leaven of the Pharisees, leaven of the Pharisees, you know. Right. It's, uh, you know, the whole idea that you were going to affect, affect uh, religious change by taking the reins and systematizing right. it, you know. Well, the point I was trying to make is that we have our own responsibility. We can see the, the blot in somebody else's eye, the speck, but we need ourselves, not try to bully ourselves. And I have one last there's quote. There's logs in my eyes, I'll tell you. Well, that's always me, too. <laughs> um, there's one last quote here I have um, that, that also puts this in perspective. It's from Professor John Gray of the London School of Economics. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, and this was his uh, particular publication, he says, the, the government purpose, the purpose of government, is a structure that embodies, quote, a type of toleration whose goal is not truth, but peace. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds very innocuous and maybe a little vague. And he uses that T word, toleration. Okay, the Tolerance. Well, that's... And we, we get Boy, upset with tolerance. We do a whole show on tolerance. But let me explain this, okay? Yeah, okay. He says the goal of the government is the goal is to create a tolerant environment that is not to, to identify truth, but to promote peace. Mm-hmm. And I would submit that he is right. Because the civil government, secular government structures are not equipped to be able to determine what truth is. All they can do is keep the peace between people. Mm-hmm. To everybody leave each other's myths alone. You go search your truth. You go search yours. If you all want to talk about it back and forth, fine. But just lay your hand on each other's myths. And that's what I'm here for. That's all I can do. I can't tell you what's, what's meaning in life. You know, the government can't tell us what's meaningful. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's what it comes down to. And so whether it's these these movements like this that use either the government or they use the course of power of the courts mm-hmm. connected, connected to the government as a means to say, well, look, these people are saying untrue things. We need to expose them for saying untrue things that, mm-hmm. that you know, are, are racist or are of a terrible worldview or whatever. The government cannot make those decisions. The government is is representing a two of a uh, heterogeneous group of people to make those decisions of truth. All they can do is keep the peace. Yeah. In other words, if your belief causes you to want to go hit that person, we have to stop. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. I and um, an American and uh, Christian should not make that same mistake of using the government to try to be an angel to teach truth to people because it will only mess it up. I heard a really intelligent quote. I thought that the uh, I'll, I'll give here uh, freedom. You have about as you have as much freedom until your hand that you raise ends up hitting the other guy's nose. And I thought, hmm, remarkably hmm. intelligent. Hmm. You know. So well, well, speaking of nosing in, Merv, would you come and tell our listeners how they can contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com 
suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Wow, well, that's some truth. <laughs> that's the end of it. Yeah, there you have it. What do you think? Was that a meaningful discussion? I think I thought it was very good. What do you think? I think so. Okay. I think we need to have more like this. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, ponder this. Do your own research. Uh, come to your conclusions. Come back for tomorrow's Tremors, our review of the news tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not an agent for British intelligence, Bionic. I'm so relieved to hear that. It's true. You have no comment about other nations, though. No, well, I mean, unless it was like an MK Ultra project, Mm -hmm. and I'm an actual Manchurian candidate. Right, which I've suspected. I've been known as Double Agent O'Soul. If you remember that song. Double Agent O Soul. Yeah. And this is the Future Quake, by the way, for all of you new listeners who are um, wondering what's happened to the radio dial. Uh, for you regular Futurians, you know what you're in for, particularly because it's Friday, which means it's special. It means it is. Oh, you're talking to me? Deer in the headlights. Love. Are you, yeah. are you, is it me? Yeah. Is it my turn? Okay. Mm-hmm. It is tomorrow's tremors or today's future review of tomorrow's news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're going to run out of permutations <laughs> of messing it up. Tomorrow's tremors are today's review of the future's news. <laughs> I will admit it is getting a little hard. And as opposed to our normal interviews that we have Monday through Thursday, this is the day that we review the news. And we had some intriguing interviews this week. No kidding. Uh, and I'm figuring we'll probably hear from some people about mm-hmm. it. Just know out there we love you all. We try to provide challenging viewpoints. I assume we were successful this week in that respect, mm-hmm. uh, and give us food for thought and something that we can all grow and challenge. Sometimes our study positions we can get in, mm-hmm. and hopefully we did that. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'd like to hear about another British agent. Yeah. Tell us who. Uh, history remembers Benito Mussolini as a founding member. Founder By the way, where's this come from? The Guardian. The Guardian, prominent British newspaper. Yep. History remembers Benito Mussolini as a founder member of the original Axis of Evil, the Italian dictator who ruled his country with fear and forged a disastrous alliance with Nazi Germany. El Duce. El Duce. Mm -hmm. But a previously unknown area of El Duce's CV has come to light, his brief career as a British agent. Archived documents have revealed that Mussolini got his start in politics in 1917 with the help of uh, a lira hundred weekly wage from MI5, which was like a small fortune back then, mm-hmm. you know. For the British intelligence agency, it must have seemed like a good investment. Mussolini, then a 34-year-old journalist, was not just willing to ensure Italy continued to fight alongside the Allies in the First World War by publishing propaganda in his paper. He was also willing to send in the boys to persuade peace protesters to stay at home. Okay. 
Mussolini's payments were authorized by Sir, by Sir Samuel Horry. Now, wait a minute. Let me make sure I understand what you said. Uh, British intelligence was paying him to tell peace protesters to stay at home? Is that uh, what you just said? No, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying that as while he was on the pay, payroll, he was willing to send in the boys uh-huh. to persuade, in quotes, uh-huh. uh, peace protesters to stay at home. As like, you know, to go and... Right, to know. prevent like an oncoming war. Is that saying that the British encouraged him to try to stop peace activities? Yes. That is exactly what they're I would saying. Say that's with, very with significant. violence, I would, I would think. I would say that's very significant. You don't say... If, if <laughs> British and other Western people said, we want peace in our time, but their intelligence is actually paying somebody to try to stop peace movements in those belligerent countries. Yes. This is correct. Sorry to interrupt you. It's I just okay. Stuck no, out. no, no. That's a that's an important point. Mussolini's payments were authorized by Sir Samuel Hore, an MP and MI5's man in Rome who ran a staff of a hundred British intelligence officers in Italy at that time. Boy, I bet the food was so good then. Cambridge historian Peter Martland, who discovered details of the deal struck with the future dictator, said, Britain's least reliable ally in the war at the time was Italy after revolutionary Russia's pullout from the conflict. Mussolini was paid a hundred dollars, a hundred lira a week from the autumn of 1917 for at least a year to keep the pro-war, to keep up the pro-war campaigning, equivalent to about six thousand dollars a week today. Like I said, it's like a small fortune. Right. Um, Horate, later to become Lord Templewood, I remember that name. Mm-hmm. mentioned the recruitment in memoirs in 1954, but Martland stumbled on details of the payment for the first time while scaring Hor's papers, as well as keeping the presses rolling in Il Polo d'Italia. Uh, Il Polio d'Italia. i got to get my Rosetta Stone mm-hmm. on for those for these names. At least they weren't Russian scientists this yeah. time. That's what I always get. Uh, Italian ones are actually harder for me. Really? Yeah, I got, I got a lot of Eastern European blood. It sort of rolls off the... Hmm. Embedded memories or something. Okay. I don't know. Um, the newspaper he edited, Mussolini also told Hori he would send Italian army veterans to beat up peace protesters in Milan, a dry run for his fascist black shirt units. The last thing Britain wanted were pro-peace strikes bringing the factories in Milan to a halt. It was a lot of money to pay a man who was a journalist at the time, but compared to the uh, Lira four million Britain was spending on the war every day. It was petty cash, Martland said. I have no evidence to prove it, but I suspect that Mussolini, who was a noted womanizer, also spent a good deal of the money on his mistresses. After the armistice, Mussolini began his rise to power, assisted by electoral fraud and black shirt violence, which he learned, you know, doing this with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. British intelligence money. Uh, Establishing a fascist fascist dictatorship in the mid 1920s. Hmm. You know, I will say, you know, speaking of fascism, like he, as bad as Mussolini was, he's not as bad as, you know, Frederick Mitterrand and some of the other people that we've seen. Yeah, well, it gets to be sort of a relative term. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there were some pretty sick stuff that the Italian fascists did, but but you're right, they didn't have a lock on it mm-hmm. compared to what you just read last week about. Mm-hmm. The culture minister, right? Yeah, culture minister. France, that's, yeah, big with the that's into the, the child boys. sex slave rings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's totally sad. What else you got there? Um, uh, you know that's about it. So we've got a guy who 
is destined to become leader of the country mm-hmm. who has been on British payroll. Mm-hmm. I've heard all sorts of people that became leaders of different countries that had that same role. Uh, Maybe that's the key. I got to get to become a British agent. One who stuck out now. I mean, I'm talking about in Western powers. Uh, Osama bin Laden has been clearly defined as being on FBI payroll and CIA payroll mm-hmm. up to the day of 911. Yes, including the days of planning and all that kind of stuff. The whole nine yards. I know. So this would lead me to believe that what our news media tells us and our government and what really is going on may be different. Oh, I thought you were going to say that a big that, stretch. Does that mean Osama bin Laden's going to set up a fascist dictatorship? And is that is that a big stretch to presume that? No, no. I was just having a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago where we talked about all of this, and uh, his position was, you know, it's about it's about time that we went and blew up Iran. And I said, well, gosh, uh, you know, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin, the USS Liberty mm-hmm. incident, the whole fact that we can't find. Uh, we can't find the, the nuclear and chemical weapons that we sold. Cy Hirsch, the famous reporter, said mm-hmm. he was in with mm-hmm. Cheney when he talked about painting up our ships to look like Iranian ships mm-hmm. and have them attack our boats to give justification to attack. Yeah, it's uh, all of the stuff that mm-hmm. goes on behind the scenes. Uh, it's like now we did attack Iran back in the fifties, right? Mossadegh was a democratically elected leader there. Well, I don't. I and don't, to I don't, come back, he was going to nationalize the oil fields. Well, I don't know if we actually attacked him. Well, uh, we had Kermit Roosevelt there, yeah, as a as a setting as up terrorists. We did terrorism, terrorism activities, blow up yeah. mosques and stuff like yes. that. Correct. That's that's a matter. The, the old red, white, and blue. Well, you know, Kermit Roosevelt admits it in his memoirs, and then. I guess he admitted some more outlandish things. Operation Ajax was the name of the yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. It's very, I don't know. It's like So I, maybe that's why the Iranians are a little sore at us, in that we put them on a, under a despotic dictator and got rid of their democratically elected government. Could that be a reason they might have a beef with us? It could be. And that's kind of where... Uh, but Islam is the reason it's blamed right now. Well, what's what's interesting is that just, you know, we're talking about this whole kind of mm-hmm. false paradigm here. You know, uh, our sitting president won the won the peace prize, and uh, nary a week later, he's that was 12 day. days of hard work. You need to give him credit for that when he was nominated. Here's another story I have: U.S. to send 45,000 more troops to Afghanistan. President Barack Obama's administration is understood to have told the British government that it it will announce as early as next week the substantial increase to its 65,000 troops already serving there. You mean he didn't announce that before the Nobel Committee made their choice? It was actually a joint press conference. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the prize. I'm sending more troops. Okay. I mean, like, you couldn't get more just, gosh, double think, I guess, you know? I read somewhere that the majority of the Nobel Committee was even against this. So I don't know what was pulled. I don't know how their really? system works. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, there was something that went on there. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. But uh, I know that it's goofy. I know they got a lot of stories, so you should read another one. Well, let me ask you this, just speculating. Yeah. If guys like Mussolini could be on, you know, Western government payroll, what about a guy like Ahmadinejad? If Osama bin Laden is. Well, next thing you know, you're going to tell me that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad has Jewish roots. Oh, wait a oh, minute. That's According ridiculous. to the Telegraph, he does. That's ridiculous. Should I read the story real quick? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, 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 don't I don't need to read a story. I don't mean to be I'm just taking question it all up here. I know. Yeah, lay it on. Uh, this is via the Telegraph, also another, you know, 
uh, well respected. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty much the newspaper of of record there in, right. in London. That's right. Uh, Mahmoud, uh, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad's vitriolic attacks on the Jewish world hide an astonishing secret, evidence uncovered by the Daily Telegraph shows. A, fo a photograph of the Iranian president holding up his identity card during elections in March 2008 clearly show his name has Jewish roots. Right. Uh, a close-up of the document reveals he has previously he was previously known uh, as Saborgian, a Jewish name meaning cloth wearer. Hmm. The short note scrawled on the card suggests his family changed its name to Ahmadinejad when they converted to embrace Islam after his birth. Uh, the Saborgians, Saborgians, awesome. Mm -hmm. Talk about butchering a language. I'm sorry. Uh, traditionally hail from uh, Aradan, Mr. Ahmadinejad's birthplace, and the name derives from wearer of the Sabur, uh, the name for the Jewish talit, Helet. Uh, I think it's how you say that technically. Mm -hmm. Halit, uh, Shal in Persia. The name is even on the list of reserved names for Iranian Jews compiled by Iran's Ministry of the Interior. Hmm. Interesting. Experts last night suggested Mr. Ahmadinejad's track record for hate-filled attacks on Jews could be an overcompensation to hide his past. Well, now, wasn't that same thing they thought happened with Hitler? Because Hitler had Jewish... I've heard that. I haven't looked at it. And they thought he did that too the yeah. same way or that he had somehow had a negative event or something. Mm -hmm. But what do you make of that? Um, I make of that as like, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Just another weird uh -huh. thing that it's like. It, it basically another sign that we don't know what all's really going on. We don't know what's going on. Except we better go on. bomb somebody, even though we don't know. But we better blow them up. <laughs> Man, it's, not, it's not funny, but. No, it's terrible, but I can't, you can't do anything because it's so ridiculous. Would you like me to read something something pleasant yeah. to change your bring us Bring something uplifting. Okay, this is closer to home here. Uh, this is from WorldNet Daily. Uh, White House science czar John Holdren has called for the United States to surrender sovereignty to a, quote, planetary regime armed with sufficient military power to enforce population limits on nations as a means of preventing a wide range of perceived dangers from global eco-disasters involving Earth's natural resources and climate, atmosphere, and oceans. Mm, now, I assume great. that would be like, the, like for example, global warming. Yeah. Even though we have this outgrowth of polar bears that seem to be growing in population, and it's global warming that's I, getting colder. I read somewhere that the BBC has changed their position on global warming. No, really? That's what I read somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but we better start getting rid of people. Uh, as previously reported, uh, WND has obtained or reviewed a copy of the 1970s college textbook, Ecoscience, Population, Resources, Environment, mm. that Holdren co-authored with Malthusian population alarmist Paul R. Ehrlich and Ehrlich's wife, Anne. Isn't he in the government now, too, Ehrlich? That seems to ring a bell. Yeah. The, author, the authors argue that involuntary birth control measures, including forced sterilization, may be necessary and morally acceptable under extreme conditions, such as widespread famine brought about by climate change. On page 943, the authors recommended the creation of a planetary regime created to act as an international super agency for population, resources, and environment. So they could go Great. over to Tom Bionic's place and decide if you're using too many resources. Yeah. Could tell you what to do. Like to seem try. Okay. The authors argued such a planetary regime could control the development, administration, conservation, and distribution of all natural resources 
renewable or non-renewable, at least insofar as international implications exist. You know, this is all just really conspiracy theory, except for the fact this guy's in the decision-making position in the government and yeah, wrote this he is in his own the hand. Guy, yeah, that's all. Wait, it's all conspiracy. Uh, this doesn't exist. Well, here, take the chip, but that doesn't really exist. It's in, coming, and right. So they want to get no. rid of people. Yeah. But just take the shots and don't ask questions. Yeah. Okay. In the next sentence, the author specified the following conclusion. Thus, the regime could have the power to control pollution, not only in the atmosphere and the oceans, but also in such freshwater bodies as rivers and lakes that cross international boundaries or that discharge into the oceans. Arguing in the 1970s textbook for passage of a United Nations Law of the Sea Treaty and a proposed complementary United Nations Law of the Atmosphere Treaty, Holdren believed the planetary regime could be developed out of the U.N. administrative apparatus established to administer treaties through the United Nations Environmental Program, which I've actually had involvement with really? in my You're career. You're part of this whole cabal? I'm part of the whole cabal, yeah. You work for right. MI5? Henchman is how I would term myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would he, just use evil. Holdren acknowledged <laughs> that the U.S. would have to... I'm, I'm serious about that. Oh, Holdren wow. acknowledged that the U.S. would have to surrender sovereignty to the planetary regime, and the planetary regime, you know, that, doesn't that sound like such a, a pleasant term, planetary regime? Mm-hmm. You expect a big ball going through space. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. Well, you go back and you can look at, you can look at even the... Uh, well, it says the planetary regime would need military arms yeah. for the envisioned super even government. The programming, even the programming, um, like, it's crazy, you know. You can go and you can see the Justice League of... Um, you know, the DC Comics. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? The whole Justice League where it's like a World Justice League and they got the UN flag yeah. on the back. And yeah. it's like, we used to be a bunch of individuals and defined ourselves through our nationality. But that was before. I we heard like that they really were really awesome when the, we had this global quickening and now we're just a Justice League of the world. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't totally, know that. I see. I haven't totally kept goofballs. up with comic books. So now they've made it to, and I assume they're probably fighting environmental bad people and corporations uh-huh. and stuff. Yeah, it's terrorists. And uh, environmental terrorists. Like Lex Luthor's probably and, running it. And right-wingers that are all... And right-wingers, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Carl Rove and Lex Luthor are yeah. fighting against them. I something. thought they were the same person. Uh, could be. <laughs> Slight bit of hair difference. Um, and it says the first step Not naturally <laughs> involves partial surrender of sovereignty to an international organization. Qualifying the conclusion... And you know what? These organizations, they're called NGOs. Mm-hmm. They're not elected by anybody. No, they're just... No, they're not accountable to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's tyranny, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing as long as most people fail to comprehend the magnitude of the danger, this, that step will be impossible. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. And it says the planetary regime would be responsible with global population control. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be given the responsibility for determining the optimum population of the world and each region and for arbitrating uh, country shares. So, anyway, but uh, I guess this was brought up in his Senate confirmation hearings. Wow. Uh, and that, uh, so, anyway, he's trying to disavow it, but there it is in writing. I didn't do it, except where it's here, written here. So, um, we're from the government, and they're looking out for us. Yeah, well, he said a bunch of other stuff to you here. I actually... Uh, he said uh, an abortion is clearly preferable to adding one more child to an overburdened family or an overburdened society. Where the uh, unless you're the aborted child, yeah, then it's not as good a solution. Yep. Uh, both hold in there in this book, Eco Science. Um, 
There is little question that legalized abortion can contribute to a reduction in birth rates, liberalization of abortion policies in those countries where it is still largely or entirely illegal, is therefore justifiable both on humanitarian health grounds and as an aid to population control. You know, I wonder how many homeschool groups use this textbook. Uh, probably not so many. Probably not many. Probably but not you so know many. what? There have been generations of children who have grown up with this programming mm-hmm. in their mind. And they would listen to what we just read and say, well, well so what? Mm-hmm. That person's an authority. Why, they should know what we need to do, right? Yeah. Well, I, it's funny because, you know, as, as you know, that, you know, I like to have high quality tea, you know, from time to time. I got mm-hmm. the little bag. Connoisseur. Yeah. And the guy that I, one of the, one of the gentlemen that I go and buy tea from, uh, is a, is an elderly gentleman who's kind of in failing health. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him about some of this stuff, and he said, um, well, you know, I mean, it's just the survival of the fittest, and the weak are just going to have to go. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> as he walked around the store with a cane. Wow. <laughs> Did he look like that guy, that Nazi in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, that burned his hand? Was it? Different like garb. Different garb. Yeah. Um, there's something that's changed in the psyche of people, a hardness. It is so weird. Those people that they don't understand the ramifications. You know, is that video games where people are used to just shooting nameless people on a screen over and over again? And I don't know. I don't play video games. There's just something in the way. I don't either. You know. I mean, that. I do that. I do that sometimes when I'm riding around with a paintball gun, but what, not just, really. Oh, <laughs> outside <laughs> just the window. kidding. Hey, we just got uh, a few minutes left. Can I read just an excerpt of something? It'd be sort of like a cereal, maybe like a running cereal. Okay. Mm, okay. Cereal. It's sort of related as a good transition. This is called American History of Nazi Eugenics. Awesome. Oh, there's a very long history. Yes. Up. And, and this is too long, but I just thought maybe if we have time now and then, I'd like to read chapters mm-hmm. of it. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the Horrifying American Roots of Nazi Eugenics by Edwin Black. Mr. Black is the author of IBM and the Holocaust and the just-released War Against the Weak, Eugenics and America's Campaign to Create a Master Race, from which this article, uh, this article is drawn. He'd be a great guest, wouldn't he? Yeah. Uh, Hitler and his henchmen victimized an entire continent and exterminated millions in his quest for the so-called master race. Feel free to interrupt and okay. comment. But no, the, I mean, that's pretty much true. Okay. Yeah. But the concept of a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed master Nordic race didn't originate with Hitler. The idea was created in the United States and cultivated in California decades before Hitler came to power. California eugenicists played an important, although little-known, role in the American eugenics movement's campaign. Well, so did Madame for, Blavatsky, for ethnic but, cleansing. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're the California apologist. Um, well, I mean, was it Aleister Crowley and his whole thing there going on? No, this is something totally different. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm interested. Hit it. E- eugenics was the racist pseudoscience determined to wipe away all human beings deemed unfit, preserving only those who conform to a Nordic stereotype. Elements of the philosophy were enshrined as national policy by forced sterilization and segregation laws, as well as marriage restrictions, enacted in 27 states. You know, younger people listening to us may not know that's our history. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1909, California became the third state to adopt such laws. Ultimately, eugenics practitioners uh, coercively sterilized some 60,000 Americans, barred the marriage of thousands, forcibly segregated thousands in, quote, colonies, and persecuted untold numbers in ways we are just learning. You know, doesn't it make you so proud of America? Well, as Christians, we know that we're a Christian nation, and mm-hmm. 
we, yeah, we have doing some, all this bad stuff. We have moral superiority, and we need to go spread it around the world to other people mm-hmm. so they could do things like this. Occupy until I come. The, Occu- yeah, the, occupy the comes with the occupy and sterilize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before World War II, nearly half, of course, of sterilizations were done in California, and even after the war, the state accounted for a third of all such surgeries. California was considered an epicenter of the American eugenics movement during the 20th century's first decades. California's eugenicists included potent but little-known race scientists, such as Army venereal disease specialist Dr. Paul Popino, citrus magnate, and that's an interesting name, and polytechnic benefactor Paul Gosney, Sacramento banker Charles Goethe, as well as members. Goethe. Sorry. As well as members of the California State Board of Charities and Corrections and the University of California Board of Regents. I always e- knew they were evil. E- eugenics would have been... I'm glad you corrected that guy's name. You must be a close associate. Well, no, uh, he's the famous famous uh, he, poet. He, now, he's that, this different guy. This is a Sacramento banker. I know. That guy's German. Yeah, but I'll bet you the name is the same. Eugenics would have been so much bizarre parlor talk had it not been for extensive financing by corporate philanthropy, especially the Carnegie Institution, the Rockefeller Foundation. There we go. Got yeah, that done. There we go. And the Harriman Road Fortune. They were all in league with some of America's most respected scientists, hailing from such prestigious universities as Stanford, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. These acad- academics uh, espoused race theory and race science and then faked and twisted data to support eugenics racist aims. Stanford President David Starr Jordan originated the notion of race and blood in his 1902 racial epistle, Blood of a Nation, in which the university scholar declared that human qualities and conditions such as talent and poverty were passed through the blood. In 1904, the Car- Carnegie Institution established a laboratory complex at Cold Spring Harbor on which Long Island. still exists, and they do bad, bad stuff there. Really? Yes. Bad stuff. Would you be willing to report from there like you did at Bohemian Grove? Let's go. Okay. Would yeah. you get on the inside? Uh, it depends on how. Yeah. Now maybe. they're sticking the needle into me, Doctor Future. Oh, that's that's really smarting. Now it's I'm burning. It's, uh, now I'm morphing. Yep. Okay. It says it stockpiled millions of index cards on ordinary Americans, as researchers carefully plotted the removal of families, bloodlines, and whole peoples. From Cold Spring Harbor, eugenics advocates agitated in the legislatures of America, as well as the nation's social service agencies and associations. The Harriman Railroad Fortune paid local charities, such as the New York Bureau of Industries and Immigration, to seek out Jewish, Italian, and other immigrants in New York and other crowded cities and subject them to deportation, trumped-up confinement, or forced sterilization. The Rockefeller Foundation Mm. helped found the German eugenics program. So, oh. so Rockefellers helped get them started and even funded the program that Joseph Mengele worked in before he went to Auschwitz. Much of the spiritual guidance and political agitation for the American eugenics movement came from California's quasi-autonomous eugenic societies, such as the Pasadena-based Human Betterment Foundation and the California branch of the American Eugenics Society. Which is now called Planned Parenthood. It's called Planned Parenthood now, yep. that's right which coronated the activity of the Eugenics Research Society in Long Island. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, yeah. Pretty intense, huh? It's all messed up. Speaking of intense, 
Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's into the road. Yeah, he is kind of intense. Mm-hmm. Merv. Yeah. All right. Boy, these are so uplifting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lots more stories. A lot more to be told. Totally. We didn't even get to the uh, using the bunny carcasses in Sweden to no to well, as fuel. But we do need to go. But ladies and gentlemen, go back to your Bible. Don't listen to what the news says. The Bible will tell you about what the nations of the earth are up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until next week, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.